0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. He may be the creator of Lift Run Bang, but Paul Carter's interests stray really far from that stereotype because he also loves to eat food. All kidding aside, he was one of our favorite guests in um, a long time, in all of our 334 episodes, because he seamlessly somehow transitions from topics like climate change to nutrition to social media to the science of strength training. Maybe most impressively, he's able to flip the script and interview John about some of his specific experiences in the NFL, all while managing to talk some shit. And he's also the reason my browser history now includes the term cock holster. So, there's that too. Here it is, episode
1: three hundred and thirty-four. I just got back
2: from Vegas and the New there for six days, and the cool thing about that is the assortment of different um, apparel, uh, you know, fashion ideas, that different types of, of people in the having. So you'll you'll get some of that in there, um, along with just
1: a douchebags. Of-
2: Yeah, but just, yeah, usually we do call those people douchebags, but there's there's a lot, there's always a good time at the expos with uh, how people decide to show up dressing at those particular uh, uh,
1: didn't you have a gripe about uh, um, guys with abnormally small legs and massive triceps?
2: Yeah, are we recording right now?
1: yes yeah we record everything
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay good i was gonna say because a lot of times the, the preliminary conversations you end up missing a lot of good stuff right you guys probably figured that nah,
1: out we hit fucking play immediately
2: okay good yeah so no yeah dude that was like in there was a couple of weird things that i'd noticed at the expo this year compared to past expos and one was in past years I used to make the joke that uh, the, the fitness or bikini competitor women who kind of, you know, were really popular on Instagram and social media, they were often lacking in the glute department. So you would go to expos years ago and it would you, you would be surprised. You would not see a lot of really great glute development. It was pretty common. And it was kind of like, uh, I like, I thought it was like false advertising by a lot of the fitness women because you'd get there and you'd be like, wow, you know, so many of those women didn't have great glute, glute development. There was a lot of women that had great glute development at the expo this year. Um, it was I was actually fairly impressed. It was completely different because so I took a couple of years off from going, and I was impressed with how like how many women actually clearly spent and it, they weren't absent of leg development either, which was a plus. So a lot of the women had spent, clearly spent some time working the whole lower body, and it was uh, apparently the guys went the other way and decided that training legs was completely out, and building really massive fucking triceps was the way, was where to go and um maybe i
1: said what's who's that one that one dick bag that's uh that john wellborn <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh dude i i you know what I, I was gonna try to keep the uh the podcast but now that i know the level which we're gonna sink to i'm just gonna fucking what start. that was
3: just a you know like a ping pong across the table uh so what so what now i'm a dick bag okay i mean aren't we all dick bags to somebody
2: uh, so, dude, that's, that's true right like no matter how good of a person you you think you are you're you're a villain in somebody else's story
1: that's right uh, that is true that is true yeah so, right. um other than luke summers who captain dick bag to Whoa, you sir uh, i don't know <laughs> luke's also been best man at like 43 weddings
2: he's yeah. probably probably sound like he's a pretty good guy
1: or a lot of people owe him money
3: yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's uh, not the money part i'll tell you that i just think he's really good at giving an hj you just got to surround yourself by fellow dickbags. You
1: know?
2: the, well, the, the initial dickbag I was talking about there was the one guy. Who's the guy that's always shirtless in his car with the bandana over his fucking eyes? Oh,
1: fucking. Oh, um, a Robert, um, not Robert, Robert Paulson. Yeah, Robert, not Robert Paulson. His Robert, name is Robert Paulson. Uh, Robert uh, what's Frank? that guy's name? Um, Robert Frank? Yeah, Robert Frank.
2: Yeah, like I guess like all his telling everybody don't do leg day taking the 130s for a ride on the incline or whatever that dumbass is always saying i guess that actually worked because the le- the absence of leg development my girlfriend is right here she can tell you like i pointed out from day one i was like did, did working legs that go out of fashion for dudes um uh, because it was it was just really like that was the look that was a consistent look for guys was that like these really big ass arms and like no ass and no legs and no calves and any of that kind of stuff. and My thing has always been, you can usually tell who's the hard workers in the room by back and leg development. Gener- generally speaking, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not always true 100% of the time, but I always just felt like that it's hard to come about a lot of um, good, you know, back and leg meat unless you put some serious, uh, serious, uh, you know, pain time in in the gym.
3: There you go. Yeah. The so dude strutting struttin around with just triceps and uh, I'm assuming tribal arm bands. Those are still in. When, right. when we went to the Olympia a bunch of years ago,
1: uh, one, uh, the fucking smell was kind of putrid because dudes were just, or chicks were just l- dropping like just nasty like protein farts. Yeah, that, <laughs> just,
2: that's, that's the, that's, that doesn't go away. That's at every.
1: Dude, I just remember walking around and just like walking into somebody's crop dust and it just fucking being like. Like, oh my God, like, uh, like something's wrong here. Like, like you're constantly like looking in your shoes. And I finally said something and people are like, (laughs) people are like, well, you know, there's a lot of protein in here. And like they give away a lot of supplements and people are taking them and it just kind of makes, you know, a lot of putrid spilling gas. And like it was, uh, it was one of the fitness girls that like works the event. She's like, oh yeah, she's like, it's awful smelling in here. And yeah. I'm like, you go? Yeah, and she's yeah. like, yeah. So that, I thought that was pretty funny.
2: Worse, it's worse at the Arnold uh, than the Olympia because at the Arnold, I don't mean, know if you guys go into both expos.
1: Uh, I've never towns, been to the Arnold. I've been to the Olympia, though.
2: The Arnold is way worse. I don't want to go anymore uh, because it's so packed. You feel like you can imagine what being a human sardine is. That's what it's like being at the Arnold Expo. It's so just packed in. They don't the, the venue is kind of small, and it's like one million people all sucked into this small convention center. So you can't really move. Yeah, there's people. There's just just the the smell. It's either it's a combination of like Axe body cologne with like protein parts. So if, if that's I
3: mean if
1: that's your thing that turns that actually on, s- yeah. reminds me of what your truck smells like, Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, that's vape. what
3: I'm going for. And vape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> what's the methane output at one of these things? Like, oh, is it know, contributing to sure. the climate change?
2: That's what I was going to say. I'm sure uh, if it's up to AOC, we'll get rid of um uh expos to help save the planet right like that would, <laughs> that would have to be on her list i'm trying to get this set up so i don't have to hold my phone there we go <laughs> yeah i'm sure that would be on her list of things to do in order to facilitate uh you know the, the earth from collapsing i guess in the next 12 years or so
1: well i i just heard a 16 year old girl lecturing people that were in the beginning of the that's been next all over mass extinction. My,
2: that's, that's all over my fucking yeah, John was telling us.
1: Uh, yesterday I was um, just watching that, uh, I, I forget her Do name, Greta. Do you remember her name, Greta? Greta something. She's like 16-year-old girl just lecturing people. And the thing I couldn't stop laughing at hysterically is uh, my daughter somehow, they're in second grade, like at school, somehow picked up this thing where they go like, how dare you? And so they started saying it. And like my daughter said the other day, they were like, oh, how dare you? And uh, I started laughing. I'm like, first of all, who told you that? And why, like, is, is this one of your teachers? Like, where is this coming from? Because, uh, first of all, your mom's never said that. I've never said it. And then all of a sudden I'm watching this thing and she's like, how dare you? And I'm like, I, uh, how, dare I? I, I laughed, how dare I? I laughed for like 20 minutes at this girl's thing. And, like, all I could think of is, is first of all, who's writing this?
2: Morning. What's crazy to me is how people supposedly identify as grown-ass men. And they're, and they're upset that other people are disparaging the fact that the rest of us as adults aren't attaching our kind of core beliefs about any of this stuff to uh, a girl who has suffers from OCD depression and is a, what is it? A high functioning, um, she's autistic. High functioning, yeah. She's autistic uh, Asperger's. Autistic,
1: right. Yeah. She's yeah, autistic
2: Asperger. So, and I'm not making fun of any of those things. I'm just saying a 16 year old that has those particular issues is probably should not be the voice of, uh, scientific reason when it comes to any of these particular issues, I'll just defer to the experts and not to emotional placating. That, that's just me
1: though. Uh, yeah, I, um, um, the problem we run into and my wife and I were discussing this is she's, she? she, yeah, of course my wife like baits me into this. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, the problem <laughs> is, is, is she's at the UN, she's doing this. But I said, at the end of the day, like uh the number one polluter on this planet is the nation of china and they just outlawed um people protesting about the climate so china came in and said it's illegal to protest in china on the climate so like the number one uh, you know like uh, just you know abuser of the climate is china and if they're not going to be at the table for the conversation then how are we going to change anything so um i uh, yeah
3: and how'd that go over
1: yeah, oh, so, well that think? and also as we watched it, my other comment is is like, you know, she's you know, you've destroyed my hopes and dreams, and she goes into this whole speech which I watched and um but I didn't hear anything of like a solution. Yeah. So as these guys know, like that, is, are- that
2: is exactly why I don't even give a shit because at the end of the day it's it's people trying to be to, to make themselves feel self important by sitting around and discussing these issues that they're gonna have zero fucking impact on. Yeah. Like D- the, the two hipsters sitting around in the in the Starbucks. Uh, drinking their lattes, they're they're not going to save the fucking planet. Um, you know, none of us are. Even if the, the planet if you say no nah, I will say this, and you know, because I I agree that there's climate change. I don't know how I'm on a strength podcast talking about climate change, but okay, we'll roll with
3: it. Yeah, it we no, go, bro,
1: <laughs> dude. Uh, this might be the premier podcast in strength conditioning, but okay. But what we are is uh, at least you know on this side of the table, highly evolved individuals that like to have complex conversations. Luke, on yeah, the other hand, is a that. dick tag yeah, dick bags can
3: have conversations. Yeah, uh,
1: these fucking two fucking dick bags, Um over here still like tell us about the protein farts at the Olympia. Right. Okay, let's get into climate. No, change. What, I,
2: what I was going to say was uh, I actually like, the, from a I don't get into that stuff very much because I agree climate change is happening. I don't know that we can ever effectively determine our total contribution to what that change is. I do agree that our, there's there's oceans that need to be cleaned up for sure. The problem is, if you, you actually look at where that is, it's going to be across Asia and Africa, and that's going to be the majority of the places that need to be cleaned up. And they actually constitute about ninety to ninety-five percent of the of the, the the trash that goes into the ocean. We, when I want to say we, I'm speaking of the United States. We constitute about zero point two percent of that. So we do a pretty damn good job of making sure that our oceans are not polluted. So it's when Enjoy. I just want to say this, that means you need to enjoy your fucking plastic straws, okay? Like the whole thing of, of I'm going to do a feel-good thing because I'm going to ban plastic straws because I saw that poor turtle that had a plastic straw stuck in his nose. We're not contributing to that though. It's the, the majority of the trash and pollution that goes into oceans is from third world countries, and we're not really constituting any of those particular problems. We actually, the United States does a pretty good job over across the board with most of the regulations that they keep trying to implement in order to improve the climate. It's really the third world countries that are fucked. I get. And it. I don't I mean, know why
1: we don't have more nuclear energy. Well, yeah, no, the uh, you're one hundred percent right. Like the the cleanest, most renewable energy on this planet is nuclear energy, and they won't even the open Nuclear energy. Why the fucker? I don't
2: yeah. understand. What is the problem? What's uh, the problem? The it, was it was
1: Chernobyl. It, it was Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. So those two things have completely salted. But um, my thing with straws is ban the straws. I'm not six years old, and I don't use a straw. And I would assume yeah, that I, I most drink, adults you know. don't use straws. And if you do. I fucking just drink used straw out of your cup. Hang on.
2: Shut hang on, hang on. Fuck you, John. Well, I just used a straw the other day, and I enjoyed myself. Yeah, <laughs> how,
3: how am I supposed to how am I supposed to eat a fucking milkshake? You want me to use a spoon? Yeah, no, no you pop the top, you know and you I'm, fucking pound it. Yeah, no, so, no one's pounding no, milkshakes. I've no, seen you consume well no. dozens of milkshakes. No. Wendy's was way that's ahead of the game because they made... Even more,
2: that's even more childish shit than eating, eating the milkshake with a fucking spoon. That's something you do with, like, a
3: toddler. Or... Yeah. I like to act like a toddler. That's toddler, what dickbags do. Toddlers the don't. Spoon. spoon.
2: Yeah, you feed toddlers milkshakes. What are you talking
3: about? Not with a fucking spoon. Yeah, with
1: a spoon. You feed them, give them a the little tiny spoon. No, no, no.
2: Spoon. You
3: baby bird it. You take a sip and then you spit <laughs> it in their mouth. So you get a little bit. That's what I was told. That's how I ate my milkshakes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Am I wrong?
1: I actually didn't
3: notice. I noticed
2: in my travels just the past couple weeks, and I'm headed to the Dominican this weekend. I haven't noticed that plastic straws are back. So I guess people got fed up with those fucking paper straws.
1: They're well, no bueno. Well, they they had the, uh, the paper straws, and they were bringing those, and I was laughing, and my wife got fucking burned up, and uh, she bought these uh, stainless steel-like straws. Yeah, yeah. So now she brings her own straws. Nice. I didn't and, even
2: think about that. It's pretty badass. Stainless yeah. steel straw, right?
1: So, so she rolls in, takes your straw out of her bag, puts it in, and uh, the amount of straws that she has fucking donated to the restaurant every time we leave I'm like, you didn't get your straw, did you? She's like, fuck. I'm like, I'm like, huh. and you can really fashion that into a weapon. Yeah, well. uh, yeah,
3: right? perfect. If you needed to spitball.
2: Well, some of the straws, you know, the big straws that you get have that 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 edge right there on the end, right? Like for punching it. If you get a stainless steel one like that, would serve either as a shank or a straw for the big milkshake. Uh,
3: yeah, or or, just, shank or shake, or
1: just fucking or <laughs> just or, fucking poke somebody shank. in the eye. Can you imagine be like, "Oh, and this fucking guy poked me right in the fucking eye with a yeah. Yeah. straw." Yeah.
2: Somebody can poke that little 16-year-old chick that won't shut up about climate change Yeah, straw shank I, redemption. Uh,
1: you know what? I I kind of like um I wear these I kind I of...
2: feel bad for her. No, I feel um, bad for her because that's she's 16, man. That's parenting. No matter how you slice yeah. that that's parenting.
1: Well, but uh, like if you think about like um And, like, this is me, obviously, not the conspiracy theorist, right, which I don't want to be. Listen, I'm
3: as much as you are, so. Well,
1: but, but like, as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, if you were going to put somebody into this position that you wanted to make very bulletproof against attacks, finding a, you know, uh, mentally, emotionally challenged individual who's diagnosed with some form of autism, high-functioning deal, um, you know, who's obviously very verbal and very passionate about this and putting her in that position uh, would be, I mean, she's probably in for today's society, like the probably like the most bulletproof eco warrior you could hope for. And like, you know, all, oh, all you have I, to I do is. I love that.
2: Fucking love that term, eco warrior. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what
1: she is. That's and I was like, man. It's a shirt waiting to happen. Yeah. These are eco warriors. And like, uh, like she sailed over on like this like zero admissions boat. And then they showed a picture. And I'm like, this is her boat? I'm like, this looks like Bono's boat so like who's the who are the individuals behind her but i'll tell you this man so like,
3: hang on was the bono thing this morning uh, just your theory or is there is there uh, chatter on
1: no that? so i did a little google search and she has a handler who uh is a very influential and writes all this stuff and kind of puts it in and she's connected with the uh foundation that bono and those guys run i think it's called mm. one world i World
3: One. bono is part of the illuminati
1: uh he i think he's head of the illuminati you think so well the other problem too and this I, is why I, I think
3: he's
2: he's definitely part of the alumni because the youtube has uh has that music on your fucking iphone that comes on there and that, without you asking
3: is it like a join the navy episode of simpsons well Remember that where they do that uh of? the the other one which i i was
1: like man i was really hoping that she wasn't a vegan but she is a vegan and of course goes to like, and, and this is the part where I'm but, like, man, like, and this wow. is where, where I got into this, where I'm like, if these people understood how to replenish and how the world works in terms of like repopulating and replenishing the environment, it's done through mm-hmm. the use of rudiments and ground nesting birds. And the problem is, and I, I saw a deal the other day, they're like, if we just had 50% less cows, and I'm like, um, what, what are you going to do with them? You're just going to get rid of them all? Okay, we're going to kill them. We're not going to bring new ones back. And then what we're going to do just plant more beans like this is fucking insanity that's right beans for everybody fuck uh and then i also read a uh wouldn't
2: that but wouldn't that contribute more to the the methane
1: yeah it totally would i mean the yeah uh, the fart joke uh, yeah uh i read a pretty interesting one yesterday was uh um this guy, or the, there's a group that's like a big uh, think tank, and Rob Wolf forwarded me this, where they basically talked about like uh, the projection of full market disruption of ending all agriculture that has to do with meat and dairy production, and they're estimating this by like 2030 through like the fact that they're going to be able to design and 3D print foods, and they believe that people will rather to consume those than actually natural sources. So like as I'm reading this stuff, and they're talking about full market disruption by 2030, 2035, and I'm thinking the amount of health problems that we have from people overeating and now we're going to give them the ability to just print their own fucking food at will oh jesus we're we're, this is mm. yeah that's that's pretty awesome yeah i'll I'll forward it to you like
2: i can't remember the comedian comedian that said how fucking lazy have we gotten when you can buy a bed that that sits you upright right like you think about it and i started laughing when i thought about it it's like you're you're another bed that, that. that you know they they incline while you're sitting in it you know, yeah. how fucking lazy do you have to be That you're like yeah i can't even sit up anymore on my own i'm just gonna incline the fucking bed like that's
3: flat yeah well, I'm, now I'm, imagine I'm, having I'm, your lunch I'm, printer next to your bed well, recline I'm, up and then print the yeah, fucking just, just cheesy print. beef
1: uh, let's do it like uh paul you you see this stuff from a pretty interesting perspective because you know um uh, for what you do in terms of like, you know, you you know, uh, Lift, Run, Bang, and like really just what you do in T Nation. I think you have a really interesting perspective of like how people are in like this generation and lifting and training and especially diet and nutrition. And really just like the idea that the majority of the people fucking over consume calories. And regardless of all these health issues, it comes down to fucking burn more than you intake.
2: Yeah, it's really, it really is that simple. And I, the other part that's very weird to me is how confusing people make it outside of that very simplistic ratio. I mean, for the most part, what we, what I try to, to give back to people to make this even more simplified is like, if you, if you want to get into what i consider, um, good shape or you want to get peeled or whatever it is, you want to get your, your body composition better. You're, you need to account for your caloric intake, and I would say it's across the board with nutrition and with training. I think where most people get um, confused is they get too confused by the nuances. So let's let's bring that back and understand who you are. Okay, so we'll we'll go into that, like the context of who you are and where you're working with. So if I'm working with a like a pro bodybuilder um, who's going to be competing in the Olympia, everything matters. So like everything is going to matter. Uh, nutrient timing matters. What he's doing for carb loading matters. The the uh, the, the food that he's eating, as far as like, composition matters. Everything starts to matter. So, but if you're taking just like the average guy that wants to get an apartment complex pool shape and have like a two pack rocking, so he can hit on the you know the hottie that comes out there on the weekend, like he just needs to make sure his 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 calories are in check, to make sure he's in a deficit, and that his protein intake is high enough. So what happens is is that a lot of people, they get confused about all the various nuances about what's important and what's not without considering the base that they're working from. So if you're just like, like, hey, I'm just a normal guy, you know, and I work down at Best Buy and I just want to look better for my vacation, then, you know, obsessing over shit like if you're eating your carbs at night or in the morning or stuff like that's fucking irrelevant. As long as you're getting your, your caloric intake dialed in, you're getting your protein intake dialed in, massage your carbs and fats to your liking and making sure you're you know fitting within that caloric range, have an energy deficit, and you're going to lose that. And that works for 100% of the fucking people. But if you are a high-level athlete like John, you were, or if you're a competitive bodybuilder or whatever it is that you're doing, a lot of those, you, you generally do have to overturn every rock to find those little 2 and 3% advantages. So, you know, that, I mean, that's, you look at at any sport at an extreme level, whether it's, um, you know, marathon running or, you know, they could come back to like so many ounces that a shoe weighs. Uh, One of the things I remember reading, and I I talked about this at the biomechanics workshop, we were talking about sprinters somehow. And in horses, they figured out, and they figured the same thing out in high level sprinters, is that it's all related to body fat percentage. The fastest guys have the lowest body fat percentage. That was the one combinator, common denominator across the board that you could find. They would find the same thing in horses, in racehorses. And the difference between a horse coming in, say, first or middle of the pack, or even last, might be the difference in five to seven pounds of fat on an animal that fucking big, right? So when you're talking at the elite levels, those tiny little nuances become far more important. But if you're just like, dude, I'm I'm just tired of feeling like you know, um, ten pounds of shit stuffed into a five pound bag, and I don't want to feel this way anymore. Just cut out all the, you know, stop eating like an asshole. You know, stop eating overly processed foods, you know, hyper-palatable, you know, uh, overly processed foods that are not very nutrient-dense. Swap that out with mostly whole food sources. And most of the time for just people that want to go from being kind of a a fat guy to, hey, I'm not very much a fat guy and I'm starting to inch my way to being pretty lean, you don't even need to count calories if you just swap out all the junk and bullshit for just better food choices like you know going from eating dog shit to where you're eating like rice and chicken and potatoes and you know some lean beef and fish a few times a week and eating you know eggs and stuff like that it's hard to go wrong it's hard to overeat on those foods so the people who are confused about all this stuff i to me the dieting honestly is the easiest part of all this shit it really is Le- least, complicated, right? e- least complicated right it's least complicated It's the hardest to implement for a lot of people because we like to eat. I like to eat. I can out eat. I was with uh, I was with Steve Pupo, who's a a really big guy this weekend too, and he can out he can't out eat me. Like I've never been around. I was told by uh, an active pro that I trained that only two people who's ever seen that could probably out eat me was Kai Green and Branch Warren, and outside of that, um, but I mean I love to eat, so like not not when I came down from 290 pounds. That was a chore. it's still a chore staying right around 240 now. Like, that's hard for me to do because I love to eat. And it's nothing for me to gain, like, 20 pounds in a couple of weeks. I just want to let myself eat like I want to eat. Uh,
1: to this day, probably the best eater I've seen is this guy sitting right here. Uh, I've never Got seen it. anybody. I've, like, I will tell you straight up, I am not, like, a, like a massive eater. Like, and uh, mm-hmm. we've done a bunch of eating challenges, and I'll get fucking crushed within minutes. And this
3: guy will be like, are uh, you going to finish that? Yeah, you gonna finish that microphone? Oh, it's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: well, if I if I ever come down, we'll we'll have a go at it.
3: Yeah, happily, and then, like I, yeah. I, I just same as you, like, oh, this looks like a lot of food. Let's fucking smash it.
2: You know? Yeah, I just love to, and I know how to change out. So when my palate gets tired, I'm like, okay, I've had enough of that. And I know how to. Switch, I literally know, like, okay, I'm gonna switch it out to a different. Whether I go from salty and fat to more sweet and whatever, yeah. and then I can go back to the other, which is just like the epitome of being a living, walking piece of glutton. Do <laughs> right, like, you know all of these Fucking little tricks That you can eat more So But I mean I like to eat But I, the truth is Yeah I like being leaner more But mm-hmm. it's it, In the moment I like how shit tastes
3: Yeah that doesn't Paul, sound and, good,
2: But I like I like how food tastes
3: And I, I do like You know going Rewinding back Just like Swap out your shitty foods With whole foods and then john i think right. some of your w- a great piece of advice is like and you know you should probably be hungry like yeah no i i like. You should never not be f- uh, we you shouldn't we, always be I full i think
2: that's a great fucking like when you're trying to it's a really good signal right one of the things and i remember frank zane talking about this when he was said he was, he was getting closer to contest shape he tried to go over longer period of time to see how long he could be hungry and that's how he got, you know, they weren't counting calories back then. They would swap out these better food sources. But he, that was one of the things that Frank St. talked about. He said when he was dieting, when he knew he had to get peeled, he had to go longer periods of time being hungry. That just meant, like, it didn't mean that he was, like, starving and then pushed on for, like, eight hours not eating. It just meant, like, you know, he would be hungry and then eat a little bit. And he would still be hungry after he ate. Yeah. But then he was going days and days and days where he was, like, hungry all the time, even though he was still eating because he was eating smaller quantities of food. But the other thing about being hungry is, and I did, I did a lot of fasting for a few years, is the amount of mental acuity that you're working with each day when you're hungrier, right? Because that's how we evolved essentially. It's like, hey, you don't have food coming in. So, you know, I need to kind of, I need to up your, your cortisol to get you mobilized from an energy standpoint. And I need to get some of that epinephrine and norepinephrine kicked off, some adrenaline going, because I need for you to get out there and fucking find something to eat. So when you're in that particular uh, hormonal and physiological state, you're actually, you tend to be a little more active. Um, as long as it hasn't been going on for too long, I'm not talking about like contest prep for bodybuilders who can't move by the end, but if staying a little bit hungry is good for activity for a lot of people.
1: Well, I I know for me, I mean, for, let me put it like this for almost 20 years of my life, I ate every single meal past the point of full to almost feeling sick. Like every every single meal. I mean, I'd sit down and I'd be like, man, I I ate like 7,000 calories yesterday and I lost three pounds. And like you would, I would have to sit down and like the amount of food that I had to consume on a daily basis. I remember when I retired, I was like, thank God. Like I just like, and, and to this day, I still enjoy like eating and still being hungry at the end of the meal. I'm like, I could totally eat more, but fuck you. I'm not going to.
2: Yeah. And who was the, I remember who's the, the offensive lineman from the Buccaneers quite a few years ago. Um, he was, they did a special on the morning morning. Did a, just a really great job after you retired, like got in great shape, like lost a bunch of weight and talked about the same thing. I don't remember who it was. But the Bucks had an offensive lineman, you know, same thing. As soon as he talked about that. Very thing, he said he was so glad when he retired that he just didn't have to be a slave to living that lifestyle day
1: in and day out. Play. You, you just get to the point where, like, you just naturally do it. And I'll catch myself at like a, a restaurant. We'll go out and order. And all of a sudden I'll start like st- And then I have to mentally tell myself, I'm like, you don't have to order all this. It's just like the strangest thing or like, uh, you know, always going to bed, you know, full or uh, I used to, geez, back when I was trying to gain weight, I would. Uh, That's remember, the worst. Uh, I would make these shakes and I'd put them by my bed and like, you know, like put a bunch of ice in it, you know, zip it up and then uh, put it there. And I'd set my clock and at 3 a.m. I would get up and drink this thing and go back to sleep. And I'm like, fuck, like the amount of food I consumed, it just. um it's nice to, to be hungry. And whenever I, you know, uh, whenever anybody asks me about it, I'm always like, Hey man, like, I don't know how to lean you out. I don't know how to diet you. I don't know how to make a smaller you <laughs> where you're like never hungry. I'm um, like, and if somebody figures that thing out, they're better than me, but you're going to have to be hungry a little bit. Who was that Joe Thomas? Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know that there's, uh, you know, Alan Aragon who, who's uh, doing a seminar with me in the, um, in the Dominican this weekend, one of the best nutrition guys in the world. And Alan, Alan talked about that. In an Instagram post he made a while back, talked about fact that if you're if you're in a hypocaloric condition, you know you have an energy deficit that you're going to be hungry sometimes. And he called all sorts of shit for that. And I was like, I didn't understand how that was controversial. I'm like, the, the, the body likes homeostasis, right? Like likes to find that set point and do whatever it is to kind of keep you there from a physiological standpoint. So as you go into a, a, an energy deficit and, you know, it doesn't want to lose fat necessarily because it wants to, you know, it wants survival. It needs fat for survival purposes. It doesn't it doesn't understand that we, we're in the, the process of being able to print food. Like our, our mind and body doesn't understand. It just knows that, hey, I'm, I don't want you. I like this homeostasis. I like this set point. I really like you sitting and, and laying on the couch uh, eating, you know, uh, you know, Kit Kat and Twix and you know and and bags and bags of snacks. So uh, when you're you going to a high-vocaloric condition and you have an energy deficit, your body doesn't it doesn't want to lose fat, so it's going to tell you to eat. Graylin's going to arrive and it's going to say go find food, and you just kind of have to get through those points. It's not really suffering. I don't consider it suffering. So it's just kind of like like gaining mass, right? Like you you weren't really suffering; it's self-imposed. Right, like nobody was putting you in that position necessarily. Like you're, you know, you're like, hey, this is what I have to do. I did all the same things when I was younger, when I wanted to grow, because I was like, I want to grow, I want to get as big as possible, and it was in my late teen years. And I spent years just like forestating myself to the degree, like you don't want to have that next meal. And that, but that's how I don't know any other way to grow either, though, John. Like that's yeah. the thing. It's like I don't know any way to lose fat without being hungry, and I don't know any other really efficient way to grow without force-feeding yourself. And like on paper. And I agree, like, on paper it would work that, oh, you just have this nice little tiny caloric surplus and you can grow up that, and whatever. And that looks good on, like, a data model. But in real fucking life, I've not seen it really work that way except for genetic freaks and outliers.
1: Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm I'm with you. It's um – Uh, Putting on weight, uh, as these guys have known, because we've all done it is, uh, you know, is by far, believe me, it's a lot easier to like lean out and get skinny and put some, you know, just be like, hey,
3: different experience for sure.
1: No, it's uh,
3: because you like in one the lean out, like you still get to like ceremoniously enjoy a meal (laughs) if you enjoy me eating, which I do. But then in the bulk, like you get your favorite foods and you're like, man, you know, it sounds ridiculous for you like this is my ninth taco. <laughs> i don 't even want to this is ruining tacos for me right, and then two hours but two hours later you 're going to have to do it again yeah you need have more tacos uh, the yeah.
1: the other one too, and you can probably speak to this is uh people over well one I think that they overestimate the intensity and the volume of which they train with, so i mean that's a that 's another interesting one, especially when we started helping you know talking to people about diet um, the Amount of work that they think they do and the effort at which they attack it like they train. I mean, it's not like everybody's out there like, you know, fucking John Meadows style trying to fucking kill themselves every single day. And yet, but yet they imagine that's how they attack every workout.
2: Yeah, that's a, a massive discrepancy, I think, between um, what, how hard people think they train and how hard you actually have to train to see results. Uh, and like the whole kind of like reps in reserve or RP scales. I don't like any of that shit. I like going until you can't move the fucking weight anymore because that's a consistent baseline. It's a consistent baseline that you're like, okay, that was I couldn't do another rep either in good form or I literally could not just do another. or I did isometric reps after I had done four range reps until I couldn't move the weight anymore. That's that now i hit true failure across, you know, kind of an entire spectrum of length of the muscle being trained within that movement. But if there's any one particular area um, that I think the reason why guys, most guys, fail to make significant progress in the jump is because they don't fucking train hard enough. And that's just the one, to me, volume, it will mitigate and dictate, determine the amount of volume we're going to be performing, and when you combine a high level of effort um, with progressive overload. And you see that happening, and you see the progressive overloads happening. That means there was an adaptation that occurred from the stimulus you provided. That's how you fucking grow. And I can get into the nuts and bolts of all that stuff, but it's really sciencey. Most people get bored by that. But at a base level, if I can't lift any more weight for reps six months from now, I won't be any fucking bigger six months from now than I am right now. And there's no getting around that. We've never seen any other way around that in all the, the history of lifting weights and picking shit up and putting it down and clanging and banging. We've never seen. Any other way around it. So if you can curl 100 pounds for 10 reps and you want bigger biceps, and six months from now, all you can curl is 100 pounds for 10 reps, you're not going to have bigger biceps. If you can show me another way, then okay, but there's, as far as we know, there's not another way. And you have to train really hard to create a stimulus strong enough to get the body to, to disrupt homeostasis strong enough to get the body say, so okay, look, I need to be able to equip myself for these further fucking attacks. So I need to have adaptation and do muscle remodeling for that, and I need to have more and more and more muscle pre- proteins over time, so that way I have a bigger, thicker, denser, stronger muscle to be equipped to handle the stress. And if you don't have those things, if most guys they don't train hard enough and they're not getting stronger, I always ask them. One of the things I say, well, "I haven't seen progress in X amount of time." I go, "Are you stronger now than you were six months ago?" And um, 100% of the time they always say no. So I'm like, I don't understand what it is that you think all these fancy modalities where you're doing, I'm doing this amount of volume or whatever, and I can get I can get it off on why, the reason why most guys think that volume is, is a driver, which is only a driver to a point, and then it's diminishing return. But if you, if you don't, if you're not seeing the stimulus, then more times than not what it comes back to, if you're not seeing muscle growth, is because you don't know how to train with good biomechanics, your biomechanics fucking suck, so you're not stimulating The target tissue, the way that you need to stimulate it for growth. So what happens is guys will say, well, I need to do more volume. And they do more volume. Well, eventually you're doing enough shit that something gets fucking stimulated. So there's growth somewhere. Okay. But if I, I, 90% of the guys that I work with don't know how to train their fucking lats. So once they're like, well, I don't have lag growth. So I do a bunch of volume, right? So they're doing a bunch of volume and it's really upper back work. And then their lats grow a little bit. And they're like, oh, that's the key. I need to do a bunch of fucking volume. I'm like, no, dickbag. You don't know how to train your fucking lats. So then when you actually teach them how to effectively train their lats and their lats grow, they don't have to do a lot of work to get that done because now the stimulus they're providing is directly to the muscle tissue they're trying to target, and it doesn't need a shit ton of work. So doing a lot of volume is more times than nine out of ten times a very, very inefficient, very ineffective way to reach that means to an end of why you're in the gym in the first place.
3: Yeah, it's an, I don't know, just, oh, you want to get bigger? Get stronger. <sighs> You know, like just go, well, just do everything you can to get stronger.
1: I mean, you think about a larger cross-sectional size of, mm-hmm. uh, of a muscle mm-hmm. theoretically will be able to support more weight. So it kind of, I mean, it's pretty hard to get bigger without getting stronger. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, right, within,
3: within,
2: within the effective rep ranges, I, I think, you know, cause if you're training in lower rep ranges, two reps, three reps or whatever, you know, um, it becomes more of a, a neurological uh, efficiency. Mm-hmm. So you know, the Meadows and I talked about that. It's like observationally, what you see is training with a lot of doubles and triples. They're usually really fucking strong, but they're not very fucking big. But if you take a guy that's gotten stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and using six, seven, eight, ten reps, he's usually pretty fucking big, right? And that's just an observational thing, but that lines up with a lot of science that we know about the involuntary slow contracting. Um, of the muscle fibers, and then and the, the activation of the greatest amount of high threshold motor units, and then the forming of the cross bridges between the actin, myosin, and, and you know the, the, the strength, the lengthening of the, of the sarcomeres and stuff like that. So those things, the, that whole sciencey side tends to add up to what, what we see anecdotally too, right? Like if, if you're gonna get re- if you get really fucking strong in six, seven, eight, ten rep range, you're gonna be really fucking big too. But but pulling like a really heavy double or triple, it doesn't seem to have the same correlation anecdotally. Speaking.
1: Well, I remember uh, old man Zangus made the observation to me years ago that uh, there was a significant difference in the appearance of people that trained over 85% and those that didn't. And mm-hmm. I think it became... Uh, that's I, funny
2: that you used the 85% range too, right? Because uh, if you use the effective reps model, that's about where you need to start at to yeah. get five to six...
1: Seven reps. reps
2: five, right, five, six reps and the then it's total failure, which is Four about five ad- reps. Is five.
1: For an advanced athlete, uh, we've seen you know beginning athletes or people that were on the other, on the other side be able to get seven, eight, nine reps 10 reps with 85%. The stronger you are and the longer you've trained, it's more like four to between four and six reps. But I remember yeah. um, and I remember the way it started was uh uh Zangis, uh advertised in all these magazines. Um the old power lifter that trained me was a guy named George Zangus who invented uh the supersuits and the wraps, a guy named Marathon Nutrition, if you remember. And so we used to train in his garage and he had all these magazines, and one of the magazines showed Paul Dillette. And he had those fucking crazy veins, and he was massive, and he was talking about his training that he never went over sixty or sixty five percent, and it was like these sets of twenty and thirty and forty with these lighter weights, and he used medium reps or medium weights. And I asked George, I'm like, hey George, is like, uh, um, like what do you think of this? Like, does this work? And George made a funny point. He, he said, too, he goes, you know, um, if uh, light weights got you stronger, why the fuck would we lift these heavy ones? Lifting heavy weights right. is hard. And he also said, he goes, you'll, he goes, as you go through this game and you start lifting weights in your training, you'll see a distinct difference between those that train over 85% and those that don't. The guys that train 85 and over will have a thicker, more dense muscle that won't leave. But the guys that train the lightweights, you'll see it. It'll look fake. It just it won't look it. And he even talked about, like, like, the old bodybuilders. And, you know, he was the Thompson powerlifting coach with, like, Bill Kazmaier and these guys. Right. And he was like, you know, if you look at what Kaz did for his trainings, it was six, sevens, and eights, and tens, and like I handled mm-hmm. what, like, you know, fucking what was like five hundred for sets of ten. I mean, you look at those numbers. If you look at
2: Ocas's old training, like, it doesn't look like a lot of training you see from powerlifters and strength guys now. Kaz did a lot of reps in his fucking yeah. training. He was big as a fucking house, right? He was yeah. strong, but he did he did a lot of reps. Like, people would go back and look at Kaz's training, his actual training. He he trained, like upper body one day, lower body the next day it was really not fancy and he did a lot of reps. Yeah. Like like he was in that six he was in that eight, ten, twelve rep range for yeah. most of his work, and that's how he
1: grew. Yeah. And and all those guys were were super strong. So it just uh it like I just even like that as a 14, 15-year-old kid, like, I, I still remember him saying that to me and then just, like, kind of observation whenever I run into people. And, and I used to run into all the time in football guys that were big but, like, didn't carry a lot of muscle and just weren't that strong and they were always afraid to put heavy weights. I mean, I, I met guys that never put more than 315 on a bar. I've never put more than 315 on a squat. I've never put, I've never put more than 315 on a bench. And I remember thinking, like really? That's fucking crazy. And I'm like, but yeah. you know, I, I can see it in your physique. I can see, you know, I can it see was, when I look and at and you. And then
2: observationally, and I'm sure there's always going to be outliers, but who was probably the most overall jacked guy that you ever saw in the NFL?
1: Oh, fuck. Um, I played with a dude. Um, I remember there was a guy named, uh, Al Harris, who was a DB, uh, that I played with in Philly, went to the, uh, uh, Green Bay Packers. Al basically ate, like, chicken McNuggets, drank Diet Cokes, and ate fries for just about every meal. And he had to be, like, 3% body fat. He was so fucking lean that uh, during training camp he lost some water weight and he fucking cramped up. And I remember him in in the training room cramping. And as he was cramping, I could see his fucking heart beating through his chest. That's how lean he was. Like, he was, uh, I mean, he he was skinny. I mean, he could have stepped on any fucking stage. Yeah, and but,
2: won. oh, I mean, like, when I say, like, Jack, like, who, what guys in the NFL had, like, were, like, like muscular Jack, like, really fucking Jack?
1: Oh, you know? uh, fuck. I mean, uh, like,. Uh, Everybody, I mean, like it. Uh, all the fucking black dudes were fucking <laughs> jacked.
2: <laughs> I, of, yeah, I was gonna say, We had that conversation I, with yeah. where We were talking about the Rock. I was like, "Well, you mix black and Samoan, you are going to." Well, a, to people, yeah, well, well, that's that's a
1: thing. Whenever people like talk about the Rock, I am like, he's black and Samoan. I am like, are you fucking? Yeah, I mean, yeah
2: Don't I, don't look at him in an example.
1: He's black yeah. and Samoan. Well, that. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing in um a lot of like it, it was pretty interesting. Like a lot of the white dudes uh if they were offensive linemen were always kind of a little you know obviously like fatter on that side but for the most part man like i just always figured it was a function of diet and guys were lazy and they just tended to overeating this and I, and a lot of guys were beat up and they just couldn't fucking train at the percentage with the way that they needed to continue to drive adaptation and right. you know i mean shit they they like um every friday uh So by Friday, finally, my hands and my arms started feeling good enough to bench heavy. So I had a deal where I would come in on Friday and I would bench four or five for max reps. And like at the beginning of the season, I probably get like six, seven and eight. And then by the end of the year, you know, in the playoffs, I'm getting like singles. But as long as I put at least four or five on the bench, I was fucking good to go. And I always kept the intensity high. just cut volume because I just couldn't handle, you know, there was just too much fucking load. But um, guys would come in and I remember thinking like, man, you've never put more than three fifteen on a bar. And it just seemed fucking crazy to me
2: that's the thing is like a lot of people don't like to talk about that from genetic standpoints, like uh, being, like, I don't know why. I mean, it's clear, like uh, if you're around the physical culture long enough, sports or the physical culture in general, I mean, you'll notice like, uh, I've just consistently found darker skin guys, whether it's black guys or you're talking about Italians. um, You know, I've noticed that too, like in bodybuilding for, I don't a lot of guys don't remember this. And there was a lot of Italian guys in the eighties and nineties that were that dominate bodybuilding. And I can't remember. I just remember that time. there was like, there was a lot of, um, uh, and I can't remember all their names for my team, but I just remember that time because somebody made that observation in an article I was reading, you know, it's true. And I don't know, like what, it's the same thing for like, uh, what is it? Uh, the, the Arab guys, right? Like oh, the, you see that a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, so like, you know, what is it like bodybuilding without borders or whatever it is that Instagram page, like the yeah. fucking those dudes in uh Kuwait and like the UAE and like dude, uh, they're
2: they're fucking massive.
1: I, I like I, I don't know what the fuck those dudes are doing, but like the one dude who's that two twelve guy that showed up to the Olympia. I saw some pictures. Yeah, Hottie. Oh uh, he, my yeah, gosh. he actually was in his open. Wow.
2: Yeah, he wasn't in the he didn't do the two twelve, he did the open and he came in third. He was fucking huge. And he's like he's like four foot tall.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> those guys are fucking massive. I I knew when they um who's uh, the bodybuilding coach that uh Mark Bell hired, that uh Hattie Haddon or whatever it is, like the guy that works with all the pros.
2: Oh, you're talking about uh Handy Yeah,
1: yeah, he yeah. They, they like basically moved that dude over there to like work with all those guys. Yeah. So you always see yeah, his exactly. name connected. You you always see his name connected. I just and the only way I know him was uh, you know, Mark Bell hired him to get him ready for that show that he did.
2: Yeah, and and, and going back to what we were just talking about before, but the other part that I was gonna say was is that um, if you look, and that was going to say, the, from an observational standpoint, the guys that you probably remember also being really strong, right? that could that really focused on lifting because you had to be around some guys in all the years that you played that really loved the weight room too, right? That really loved to train and, and, and like to and the guys that you probably were around that really loved to train and get strong probably had a significant amount of muscle mass too, right?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, um, I played with I played with a lot of really strong individuals. Um, guys that, you know, banged weights and were good athletes and were big and strong dudes. And, uh, you know, I, uh, like over the years you saw dudes that, uh, looked the part, but I'll tell you this, it, um, I don't know if, uh if, like, how it's changed a little bit, but I remember um, when I came in and, like, you know, for, for, you know, the decade I was there, there was always, like, a sense of pride about, like, having a set of arms that filled out your jersey. I mean, we're out there in right. fucking T-shirts, basically. And I remember always fucking busting dudes' balls and be like, dude, go in there and fucking get some curls. We got to look the fucking part on Sunday. And so it's <laughs> funny now because uh, we were watching NFL stuff and my wife's like, these guys don't look like they lift weights anymore. And I'm like, no, they really don't. Like, like that culture just kind of went away. And, yeah, um, back
2: dude. When I was coming up in the '90s, and I played um, for like quite a few years, clearly I never went the NFL loved, but I love playing, but I love I love just the same way that I do with like lifting. Um, is that I was very much like a student of every aspect of it. But I, back in the in the '90s, the guys that were were that I, I loved to watch play that were great players are always really jack dudes. I mean, uh, one of the things I remember a guy I loved watching from the Steelers was Greg Lloyd, and Greg yeah. was jack fuck right. Like oh, yeah. that was the cool thing about Greg.
1: Yeah, no, uh, dude, he was like a martial arts dude, and they had that whole fucking crazy stretching routine they did. And uh, seeing Greg Lloyd in person was pretty fucking impressive. I mean, I played yeah. I played with LeBron, uh, LeBron Kirkland, and, like, I mean, dude, I. It, it's interesting. I remember when I got uh, approached and came into the CrossFit deal, and I remember all these people were like, oh, this guy's so fucking jacked. And I'm like, he's 180 pounds. I'm like, <laughs> uh, they like talk I – When
2: people uh, talk about how jacked – and I, you and Teen Nation did an article on that about – like CrossFit jack guys so some guys like, you know, 205 to Like I, like I said, I just left Texas and Steve Kukla was there. He was, he's, uh, he was, you know, right. Probably about 270 um, with lower back striations. Like, I'm like, you guys don't know what fucking jacked is. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. You're a CrossFit athlete at 215.
1: Oh, it's a good
2: look. 215 That's is not huge. fucking
1: uh, Every one of those dudes is 175, 180. And they're talking about, it. I'm like, dude, like a uh, jacked 180. Ah, dude, I played in the NFL where dudes were like 260, 270 like that. So yeah. it was just, it was you remember kind of that,
2: Remember? It, and that it doesn't always translate to great, uh, to great playing because probably the most jacked guy ever in the NFL might have been that Vernon Golston guy. Who is that? Don't you don't remember, remember Vernon
1: Golston? Uh-uh. Hey, Jamie, pull oh. up a picture of Vernon Golston there. Oh, uh, uh, was he a tight end? or? D- no, he was a defensive end. Uh, he came out of Ohio State. Jamie Golston. Oh, Vernon Golston. Vernon. Oh. Vernon. Yeah. Vernon Golston. Yeah, but he was a bust, wasn't he? Total bust. Yeah, but he, yeah. he
2: he looked like he would have eaten offensive tackles for fucking breakfast. Oh,
1: yeah. Did you find him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's – yeah, no, he he looks the part. Uh, you know, we used to call that look like Tarzan play like Jane. We used to see <laughs> dudes that were fucking yoke like that. And, like, I mean, on occasion, like shit, like Brian Dawkins was pretty fucking jacked. Um, I can think of some, like, a lot of dudes that looked the part.
3: My guy Cleo Max, pretty
1: fucking stacked. Uh do. Cleo Max, a fucking beast. His arms look good. Oh my god, uh, he's he, he's a good player, man. I uh, who was, who him was the players. guy? Who's
2: who was the guy at LSU? as a safety that played for the Redskins. Oh, I can't remember his name. He was a he was a safety. He was Jack. He he got he was more famous for looking Jack in his in his selfies.
1: Oh yeah, no. Didn't he get into trouble? He got he basically got booted out of the league. Got in trouble with a bunch yeah, of yeah. drugs and a bunch of weird shit. Yeah. No, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, that was him yeah i mean there's a lot of guys like that but it's like you said it it is weird um because in the 90s coming up that was like kind of like during like 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 i was in my youth then, in my teens and you know early 20s um and there was definitely i would say there was kind of that that culture mix that had been carried over from like the late 70s and the 80s from the steelers culture when you're like mike webster was jacked as fuck for the 70s too right as a as a sinner i remember the first time i saw like uh, footage of, of Mike Webster and I was like dude that dude is fucking I mean he he was bowed up as hell right yeah, yeah no so Mike Webster time, looked the part yeah that's what I mean so it, like can you remember those those that whole Steeler linebacking crew until LeVon Kirkland decided he liked fucking duck and donuts better than he liked playing but like at, there was a time when that whole that whole linebacking crew was like jacked as fuck because it was, it was uh, Kevin Green and Greg Lloyd yeah. LeVon Kirkland and uh, who was the other one was it Chad Brown
1: yeah yeah, that sounds right.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then, like, during the—we the, also had—back had, then, I remember Jesse Tuggle, who was jacked as fuck. Yeah. Um, Sam Mills was always in great shape. Yeah. You know, like, there was, like, definitely kind of a physical culture about the NFL in the 90s. I think you don't see now.
1: No, I, I mean, uh, I think you do, um, but I think it's more from just, like, really genetically gifted individuals. I I, I think what, what you've gotten to the, in the NFL is just this, like, genetic freak show. I mean, as I'm watching the other day, like, just the uh, the speed and, like, the size of which guys are moving. And there's just these really interesting outliers that are out there playing. And it's um, – it, But it, it
2: continues, it, right? Like, it continues. Like, when um, – it was funny when um, – uh, Ken Listener was still alive. You guys – I don't yeah. know if you guys – oh, yeah. you know Dr. Ken. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember Dr. Ken, but I, I knew Dr. Ken pretty well. I love Dr. Ken.
1: Dude, I, I had these was. crazy training videos of Dr. Ken on DVD. Uh, yeah, uh, it's fucking like like what was he like 175, 180 pounds. He was if, if you're talking about the one he did for charity, I had that one. It was when he was uh, he was
2: he was fifty in his late fifties, and he was a hundred and I oh, will say sixty two or one hundred sixty five yeah. pounds, and he squatted. It was four oh seven. It was like four. It was in kilos, so it was like four oh three or four oh seven, and he did they squatted it for twenty three. Yeah, and you got to remember he's in his fifties and he was one sixty two or one sixty eight, right, John? Yeah, he's like, yeah. yeah, like one sixty. But he, he, uh, he squatted 407 for 23 reps. And then right and then he was like down, breathing hard. He was, so, <laughs> he was such an animal. And then he did, he stiff-legged and deadlifted, I think it was 385 for like 16 or 17 reps right after that. And he overhead pressed 245 for like four.
1: Yeah, he's, um, like he's a madman. With
2: no leg drive, right? It was just like a strict overhead press. And then he curled. It was like 165 for eight or some shit. This all wouldn't work out. he was at like 160 pounds.
1: And the best part that. is uh, he's in his house in like Long Island and like all the weights are in his garage. So he like gets, he's like at his kitchen table and he like walks out and he goes into the garage and it's packed with so much fucking equipment that you're like, holy fuck. Like how do you navigate this thing? It's
3: like one car garage.
1: And uh, I had, I knew dudes that had gone and trained with Dr. Ken. I, I yeah. like, I'd, it never worked out. Like I, like it just, it never worked out, but I knew that guys went and trained with them and I'd always kind of heard about him. And I, um, I regret not going and searching that dude out. Like there's, there's uh, certain regrets I have, and one of them was when I was playing. Uh, I'm, I'm upset that I didn't like fucking travel around like a fucking you know sword lore, a, a masterless samurai fucking Ronan, just going and finding uh, people that I heard were doing amazing shit. And I think if the internet was more prevalent when I was playing, I would have like if I knew yeah. that you know adam and fucking woodski and those guys were out there i would have found them if i had you know known more about this stuff if there had been you know because i i had met uh um you know i'd called louis simmons back in the 90s he he wrote me a program Help me bench 500 in college and i remember like wanting to go out to like uh to go out there and i just never fucking worked out and i should have just been you know not that anybody really wants to ever go to columbus uh just fucking (laughs) you know just showing up there and, and then after I retired, he fucking calls me on the phone and I go out there and trained out there. And he was like, ah, oh, man, I wish you'd come out here and I played. I'm like, I fucking should have too. You know, it was yeah. stupid that I didn't. What
2: I was going to say was I remember Doc Ken telling me, because he, you know, he worked with so many guys, he trained so many NFL players back then. And he said he's, he, he trained a lot of different athletes from a lot of different, um, you know, a lot of different sports. And he said, NFL athletes, he said, um, could do more shit in like a 10 by 10 foot area than anybody on the fucking face of the planet. He's like, there's, the, he said the, their ability to just do outrageous athletic shit was like unparalleled. And I remember even Charles Poliquin um, had talked about when Charles was still alive too, like all my, all my mentors, and guys I looked up to and worked with are, are dead now, which dates me. But I remember Charles talking about these, like if, if the NFL, if the, or just went away And the place for all those guys to make money would have been the Olympics. We just killed, we would have killed everybody on the face of the planet and basically every Olympic sport with our NFL athletes.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, I mean, uh, um, I was telling these guys when I was at the Chiefs, uh, Boomer Grigsby, who was our uh, fullback, and he also played some linebacker for us, was like a six-round draft pick. And I remember we were in there lifting weights and he came in on a Friday and he was wearing a pair of cleats. And I remember because they were spatted on, he stepped on the platform and I I thought I was doing like RDLs or something. And I watched him do this really awkward power clean up to his chest and then he push pressed it. And mind you, he's wearing molded cleats on wooden fucking platform. So he kind of like very gingerly got on and like power cleaned it up and then kind of got underneath, push pressed it, locked it out, brought it back down to his chest and set it down on the ground. Mind you, with metal plates. Uh, After practice, no fucking warm up, just came in and basically power clean, push press 405. And I'm like, you know, you probably just set the American record right there. And uh, like that was like daily occurrence. So I just.
2: Yeah, I remember uh, what was it? Bill Goldberg talking about when he was with the Atlanta Falcons and he was actually training with Jesse Toggle. And and there was uh, they were doing like incline presses uh, with the dumbbells. He was they were using like the 150s and he said this obvious blind man walked in smoking a cigar and pick pick one of the dumbbells up and did a few curls with it and laughed at him and just walked away <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh and, you know there,
2: there's yeah. yeah i mean there's those guys like that it, it you know pisses you off because you like you know i mean i know so many guys have um when i was playing semi-pro out in west texas we had a guy come through and his name was uh jerome evans and um he was like one of those guys he could have probably been Warren Sapp had he had like the heart right like when he wanted to play like he was unblockable you know what I mean you know those guys right um, I think back in the day Chester McLaughlin was kind of like one of those guys at the NFL level like when Chester wanted to play right
1: like nobody yeah blocked, it was right? maybe one play a year though <laughs> right, <it was> like- <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, I played against so many dudes like Chester in there like I, I can uh, like if I sat down a piece of paper and like looked on the computer I could give you a fucking hundred names of dudes. And I made this mistake when I was young. Like I used to see those guys that didn't go hard all the time. And so I figured like, oh, fuck this guy. And then after, um, I fucking basically took a late shot on a dude and he got mad and fucking basically ran through my neck three plays in a row. I realized that, uh, the old, uh, let sleeping dogs lie is probably the greatest piece of advice that I could have ever gotten. Like if a dude is a fucking, you know, Hey, I'm only going to give you two or three hard plays a game. Then what you do is you just fucking just don't make him look bad. Just hopefully lull him to a dude, false sense of security. I,
2: that, that's so weird, man. I never thought about it from that perspective. But that's really cool because oh. you're like, if this guy's kind of a shit guy because he's lazy and he's getting his paycheck and he's happy with that, just dude, let it. You know, just, let him have
1: kind of what he's. Dude, just exactly the the one thing that I found will will wake these motherfuckers up is they everybody has some pride. So right. like, as long as as uh, long as you can go out and brother in law with them and like make them like, hey, like you know, beat them, but not make them look bad. Then I'll like, give up a few times, right? uh, yeah. Every, everybody's good, but then all of a sudden you go hard and you fucking throw them down. You make them look bad. You do something stupid. Then they're gonna come out and fucking hurt you and it's going to be a (laughs) fucking bad day for everybody start praying for you and uh i I told these guys the story and i can't remember his fucking name but this dude that i played at the redskins was like that you know fucking big stud and he was that was one of those guys and i i remember i was young and i was like fuck this dude And i remember i got underneath him and the ball carrier got tackled and i drove him over the top of the pile and fucking pancaked him drove his fucking face into the turf and then when he got up i fucking teabagged him And uh, basically was like, fuck you. And he was like, all of a sudden I saw his eyes get lit up and he started praying at me. He was like, Lord, he doesn't know what he does. And like all of a sudden he's praying. (laughs) And so we're we're back in the huddle and Trey Thomas is like, man, that motherfucker's praying for him. I'm like, fuck him. (laughs) Fuck that fat. And I started screaming. And um, the next play we ran a little, uh, like I think it was 94 inside zone and I was playing left guard and I took his own step and he ran through my, he basically Speared me in the side of the head. I crumbled like bricks. He fucking tackled for a two-yard loss. And I was like, oh, fuck, I must have slipped. And then uh, they called the same play, and he did the exact same thing, the second play. And then by the way, came up the third play. I'm like, sorry about that. He's like, okay. And then, like, we just (laughs) came off and, like... I was like, ha, 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 just <laughs> kind of brother-in-law on it. And, uh, and like, we threw an inter- or, uh, uh, incomplete pass, like, patted on, and he's like, we're good, right? I'm like, 100%, sir. We're real good. We're fine. I'm going to go out there. I'm and not going make- to make you look bad. I'm just going to hop around. And then the hilarious part was um, Sam Adams was like that. And uh, I fucking got in Bro, trouble. From the Pats, right? Uh, when he was playing. I want to say he was at the Pats or Buffalo. I can't remember. But, he was at uh, both. He's yeah. But this is when he was at Buffalo. And I remember Sam, if you saw him, he, he had to be 400 plus pounds, but he wore like yeah. a size nine shoe. So he had these little tiny feet. They looked like little hooves. And I remember like getting in my stance and like laughing at his feet. And uh, he was like, don't you know, something about like, don't laugh at my feet. And I'm like, you know, sorry. And uh, then I remember the similar deal, like kind of brother in law on him. And, um, you know, he didn't make any plays, but like I wasn't trying to kill him. And I remember offensive coordinator fucking like a couple days later where I practice comes over to me and he's like uh, you know you really uh, um, you know, like to fight and classify yourself as a tough guy and I'm like okay where's this going and he's like I just got done watching film and you were over there and you could have like you know basically fucking calling me out and I was like Damn it. I was like, God damn it. I didn't think anybody fucking noticed it. And I was like, I, I, I wasn't wrong. I was like, dude, you're totally fucking right. I, uh, I, I could have hammered this dude. But if I hammered him, he would have fucking bowed up and this would have been bad for everybody. Right. So I can go out there and I can fucking make my blocks and I can do stuff. And as long as I don't make him look bad repeatedly, like uh, I'm going to low him down, yeah, dude. Not I'm
2: going to guess, though, there was some uh, there was definitely because when you were with the Chiefs, like the because I've been like I'm here in Kansas City. And like I grew up a Saints fan. And I'm kind of a transplanted Chiefs fan. I have been for like 20 years. So I watched you play here and there was definitely uh, there were games where there were certain teams you guys were going to play where that shit just went out the window.
1: Though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. I, I, you know, I was at Tony Gonzalez's Hall of Fame and I ran into Michael Strahan and Stray was laughing. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, dude, you remember when you came out there and you fucking held me on the goal line and threw me down? Then they called that fucking penalty." And I'm like, "Yeah, I fucking remember that." And we were like, he was like reliving and arguing. I was like, "You remember that?" He's like, "I think about that fucking all the time. That was bullshit." And I was like, "Thanks." makes me feel good we like hugged i'm like you know i'm really glad he's and uh it was it was just funny that like here he was talking about we were down the goal line we ran this fucking outside zone i got my uh my inside hand up on his chest and grabbed his face mask and as he tried to lunge at the ball carrier i fucking basically tea kettled him and i like got up looking for the flag and (laughs) there was no flag and i was like yes touchdown and he was so fucking mad and here we are, ten years later, and he was still pissed about it. He's still so mad about yeah. that. It was good. Dude, and I was like, awesome. I was like, Stray, but you're doing great now. He's like, Yeah, I'm killing it. I was like, Ugh. Yeah, and
2: you know, that's funny. Like Stray was he was another guy you always saw, always kept himself in awesome fucking condition, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Michael always looked. He's like, he amazing player, but looked apart. And that was the thing I always, I always felt like just watching and what I knew, like just separated the because by the time he, you, you, and you know this, but when you're at that level. All of those guys are very, have the, have the genetic components to be great players. That's how everything I've ever, every coach or player I've talked to at that level pretty much, you know, uh, reiterates that is everybody at that level has the genetic potential and often what ends up separating the really good or the greats or the guys that are just starting the league anymore is, is work ethic um, and the desire to get in there and, and both train hard, study film, do all the things that are required to kind of be that great player. But that from a, uh, and the parallel I, I f- found from there was this uh, Navy SEAL guy that was an instructor that he he told me he's like, look man, he's like, in order to get through buds, you don't have to be this fucking elite level athlete. He's like, you you can be in great shape, like in other words, the kind of shape you could just get in, you know, like be able to go run, you know, six miles, do put a lot of push ups and sit ups. He's like, but it's not that; it's getting up and doing it every day, day in and day out, when you're exhausted, when you're tired, when you're hungry. When you're cold, he goes, and you have to repeat it. When your joints hurt and all this over and over, he's like the ability to go out and run. He's like the numbers, yeah. He goes, they're they're tough, but they're not astronomically tough. He's like, it's not that. He's like, it's that. How do you when you drown, proof, a guy, and he passes out in the water, and you pull him out, and you say, get back in. That's what breaks him. It. It's not the inability to run x amount of you know the mile and x amount of time. It's that mental that mental focus, and I think that transcends across most of the things that keep a guy from being either average or run of the mill or good to great is, um, is that mental capacity and that emotional capacity. Cause those things, all of those things are intertwined, right? It's a, that the, the, it's, it's a metaphysical thing. And yeah. you see that lifting too.
1: Hey Luke, uh, Paul, not to catch you off. You know, uh, we never let Paul actually introduce himself. We just jumped in and we've been rapping for an hour. So we should probably mm-hmm. like. Start eight. the show. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Hey Paul, uh, for those of people that might not know who you are, can you just give us a little CV, a little bit of introduction and, uh, um, you know, and so, yeah.
2: Oh, I mean, that, that's it's probably, it's probably a good time. It's like, so like, I think I started lifting when I was, when I was 14. Uh, so I've been lifting like 30 years now and, um, I'd actually, uh, my parents had divorced and my best friend from the time I was like five years old had just gotten killed. And I'm like 14 years old. It's like 1988 or whatever. And I, I decided to get on the Greyhound bus and I wanted to go out to Oregon to train in, in martial arts. And that's a long story. But I, I got on the Greyhound bus and rode four days when I was 14 years old all the way out to
1: Oregon. Where'd you grow up?
2: I grew up in North Mississippi. Okay. So go all the way out to Oregon, get out there and spend the whole summer uh, lifting weights there. And um, I had a, my instructor, my martial arts instructor out there was the guy that got me involved in lifting. And First day, you know, he woke me up. He's like, "We're going to the gym." So we go to the gym, and we did chest for now. Mind you, I had never, I was, I had never lifted weights really in my life at that point. And we did chest for an hour, went and had lunch, came back and did back for an hour. Total noob, fourteen. The next morning, I woke up. I was fucking paralyzed. Like I could just could not move. Like could there was no movement to be found in my torso. And he had this giant stepside truck. So I had to reach up, you know, pull myself to get in into it, and and then I would spend six hours every evening going through martial arts training where I got the shit beat out of me, and so like the next day was like legs for an hour in the morning, and arms. So you can imagine what I felt like after like the first week. But there was an interesting kind of kind of moment that happened, and I remember I was I was in the kitchen and kind of um, like playing around with this mom, and I remember that I, I flexed my arm, and uh, I saw my biceps. It was like a month after being there, and I saw my bicep just like pop right. I'd never seen that before. At 14. I remember like all the other kids, you know, growing up, you know, you'd flick. There's all. Remember all the, You remember those guys growing up, like in when you're like 12, 13, 14, just seemed to have like had no body fat and muscles. You know, talking rock, yeah. flex. You Why know, the hell on like that? So I saw my muscle first time. I was like, I'm gonna do this weightlifting shit for a lot. I like this. I like what's going on here right now. And that was like to this day. I still talk about that moment. That was the moment I knew I was lifting. I arrived there that summer, I was ninety-seven pounds. And when I left at the end of summer, I was 117. And so that was my that was my new case. So I went home, right? And like I'm still 117 pounds because I'm 14 years old. But like to my I remember my sister's like, holy shit, you're huge. You know, to her, like that mean twenty it was probably a legit 20 pounds of muscle I gained over those three months. Um, because I was I was eating good. Um when I got there, I was like literally a chain smoker at 14. I was a chain smoker with like really long hair because I played in metal bands. But I decided, you know, I wanted to get back into martial arts and I wanted to, and you know, I, I like this lifting weights thing. So um from you know, I just kept lifting and I remember I I started when I started dating my former wife when I was like 18 or 19, like I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And this this is a funny conversation. And she told my mom, she's like, my mom said, just just let him kind of be him. You know, he, he's gonna do something, you know, you know, big with his life. You are know, just like she's like the only thing he wants to do is lift weights. He's never gonna do anything with lifting weights. And it's to this day, like she's you know, we have a good friendship and we still laugh about that. But um probably about eight years ago or nine years ago, how I, I come to be in front of you guys is the um I was good friends with uh, Jim Wendler when Jim was developing Five Free One. And I I just started a blog because I love I figured out I love writing like I love to write and that was kind of my outlet and I love to write. And I was, um, and Jim and I, we had this funny conversation. Um, we started an email correspondence at the time and we never made a new email. There was never a new email. So I have, I have this 1100 reply email in my Gmail folder for when Jim was developing five, three, one and all the various shit we were talking about at that time, which is pretty cool. Right. And, um, I was writing at that time and, uh, Jill was like, what are you writing? And I was like, I would just, I said, here, just this. And I'd send him over like these articles, I was just writing for me. And he's like, dude, this is awesome. He's he's like, do you want to write for us? I'm like, no, absolutely not. It's like, I don't want anybody reading my shit. And it, that's really weird because there's so many people, you know, you come to find out, they're like, I'm trying to get in with like, you know, Elite or I'm trying to get in with bodybuild.com or I'm trying to get in with Teen Nation or whatever. And they're like dying. And I was like turning him like, you know, Jim at the time was the senior editor at Elite, And he was like, dude, please write for us. I'm like, no. And, uh, and so finally I was like, oh, I relented. I was like, okay. And so I wrote one article and he came back. He's like, can you write like six more? And I was like, okay. So like literally I went from like the blog and then over the course of that time I started writing books and, um, and I kept writing for. I wrote more stuff for Elite, and then I started doing seminars, and then I started writing for T Nation. And I remember <clears throat> I woke up one day to this um, this link. Somebody sent me a link in uh, through my Facebook inbox, and it was like Charles had listed all his top coaches in various fields, and I was on the list. And. I was like, well, that's that's not he can't he's gotta be another Paul Carter in, in the strength um de- you know development department that he's referring to. I was literally I remember I was googling other Paul Carters like in like strength coaches that and I was like and then like a day later Charles ended up inboxing me and, and told me he's like, hey, I love your work. Um you know, I wanna bring you up to, like Montreal and stuff. And that's kind of the how I ended up, you know, involved, I guess kind of where I'm at now. And like, I was competing in power, I competed in powerlifting for 10 years. And then I retired and did bodybuilding and now I'm just kind of retired from all that shit. And just, but I still, I probably lift every, in fact, I know I lift just as hard now as I like that. I don't think that's something that goes away. Like when me and Meadows get together, we absolutely fucking crush each other with like the intensity and effort. I don't think Meadows is like, you know, he's a hundred now. And I like he aged in
1: dog years. He's yeah, I mean he's basically dog years. He's becoming Skeletor. Like last time I talked, I'm like you know your job of becoming Skeletor is fucking very close. I
2: love I love John. He's one of my closest friends, but you know he's like he's never going to be on the cover of GQ. Um, So yeah, but we me and John get together, we talk about that. Like we absolutely annihilate each other from an intensity standpoint, and we can both consist. Going back to what we were talking about before. John and I, we always look at each other after like we do a set and, I, and he'll look at me and goes, you think you could do another set? And I go, no. Like it's always about leaving it on the table, right? Leaving, leaving it on the table. Whatever you got, leave, leave it there. Like don't get out of the machine and go, I got to do three more fucking sets. Man, fuck you. I don't want you training with me if that's your mentality. I absolutely don't want you training with me. If your mentality is we're going to do four more sets like that. If you're going to do four more sets like that, then you did not train hard enough on the one we just did.
1: I um, I knew John Meadows was uh, was a unique, funny, special individual in that I, there was a video posted where he was training with Dave Tate and uh, like, you know, Dave Tate um, probably has a how could I say this right um, could make a claim for being one of the most dramatic people in the universe. Uh, and the hilarious part was like, he like gets done doing something and he fucking, you know, explodes on the ground. He's rolling around on the ground and fucking, you see John Meadows, like just step over him and pick up and put another plate on. And he's like, basically like setting the weights up at Dave Tate. And he just, and he kind of like pulls him out of the way and then gets underneath and he just starts fucking going. Like, not like, are you okay? Like, let me just fucking crawl over your dead carcass to do my fucking set. And I remember thinking, like, with, like, zero emotion on his face, and Dave Tate's fucking like, ah, like, just this, you know, I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve and fucking right. just an emotionally explosive. And here's John Meadows just fucking adding more and weight John, to the bar and slaying it.
2: And John loves training to a degree that I don't even love training to. Like, when he got to Vegas, he trained uh, seven times in two days. He went he just kept going to gym after gym and training. Now, before he like gets put up on this like legendary pedestal, it was all like arm and shoulder training. Sure. So he saved he saved his leg day for when I got there.
1: Yeah, it's not like he's fucking gonna, you know, go out and fucking smash uh his lower body fucking three days in a row. I mean No,
2: no, no. He, he saved and I tell you what though, like we um we train legs harder. like I said, when we get together, we like to pick back or legs or stuff like that. like we're we're, we're not huge on doing a lot. Like we like to get after it. And I was my quad it was a quad based um, workout for the most part. and my quads were sore for a full seven days. like not like a full seven. And the thing was is like you know, they were so sore. The, like literally, like the I don't usually get sore for about two days after training legs, and then they were so sore the next day. I was at the Olympia Expo, walking up those little steps. Every time I walked, I would cramp. So it was, and I but I love that kind of training. I don't like I I can never ever do this. I want to do high volume, a bunch of reps in the tank, whatever. Like I can never do that. That just does not appeal to me at all.
1: No, I, I I never bought into the RPE like leave a rep or two on the on the platform or you know leave a few in the tank. Like it just um. For me, like uh, the majority of stuff for us was, or at least in my training, was always rep maxes. Like if I was going to do five and I could do six, then fucking that wasn't my five. I'd rather know my four and a half than my <laughs> right. five. And like, and and, you know, like you
2: are like,
3: you know, I don't and, know
2: any other. That's the thing we got back to earlier. So a lot of times when people think this is a huge part why I think every guy needs to spend a significant amount of time training a real fucking failure because a lot of these guys, they train like pussies for so many years, and then they adapted this, this two RIR, four R fucking mentality, which is just some low-rent, weak mentality bullshit. And what they don't even realize is they're more like eight RIR. They're more like eight reps in the tank, or they're more like six reps in the tank. Yeah. And, but if you've been training to literally failure, and you spend six, eight, ten years doing that. There's a few things that happen there. Number one, you're going to be really big and strong. And number two is if you do decide you're going to do two R, then you're going to know what that really is. You're going yeah. to know what two reps in reserve really is because you know what training for failure really feels and looks like.
1: No, I mean, we, uh, we, we've been um, uh, adapting over. We've been working on this uh, kind of uh, power athlete adaptation of triphasic, uh, Cal stuff. And so we've been doing it and we had to do some, uh, what was it, fucking six seven, uh, six, seven second isometric basically holds in the bottom of the squat with, you know, fucking four or five plates on there. And uh, yesterday we did it for doubles and I legitimately was telling myself as I'm at the bottom of the squat and I can hear text count five, six up and I'm thinking. Don't fucking black out. I remember I close my eyes and I stand up with it and I was fucking gonna black out. And I'm like, well, that was a good fucking set. You know? Right. But right. I mean, until you go to the point of blacking out, do you really know how far you can go? And I think um the, the other one too, which you know you could probably speak on really well, is uh this fucking overtraining boogeyman that is somehow fucking virally given the entire uh internet of fucking training AIDS or HIV, however you want to look at it, but it just blows my mind that like I, I've never met people that we're so worried about oh, this overtraining boogeyman that had never actually ever overtrained anything.
2: Yeah, I, it, it would, the actual like classification of overtraining, um, for the most part, it can happen, but it's usually seen in endurance athletes. Like it's, it's guys that are literally out doing endurance work for hours on end. And there's some, there's some serious, uh, physiological conditions that comes with legitimate overtraining. Like you could get rhabdo from doing some shit that's like a metabolic stress session where you're going too long. But for the most part, if you're going in and you're doing, you know, you're training for 45 minutes to an hour, and you're just not being a complete dumb shit, it'd be virtually impossible.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, unless you're trying to do some. Again, it comes back to extremes, right? Unless you were going in twice a day and you're training your ass off, and uh, both, but which that becomes self-limitating uh, usually physiologically at some point along the way, right? Like you end up with an overuse injury. That's your body's will start giving you some feedback to say, "Hey, dude, you need to stop." But I don't, you know, that's kind of, like you said, it's one of those things, I don't, there are a lot of these things I think guys worry about, whereas if you, if you really just use some, what I feel like is common sense, if you train really hard four days a week, uh, if you take your sets to failure, uh, if you use, and the most important part about all that gets back to what I said, is finding movements that really fit your structure and using good mechanics within those movements, everything else gets sorted out pretty easily. So a lot of this stuff that guys are confused about, I don't understand why they're obsessing over so many nuances.
1: Do you you think that there's kind of, um, I mean, you made a good point, like exercise selection for, you know, like uh, anthropometrical ratios or genetically, like, you know, some things that you do. I mean, I've seen, I mean, what's amazing, I've seen guys back squat and, um, you know, never develop their quads. I've seen guys fucking do nothing but back squat and develop their quads. I've seen guys like, you know, for me, like there's, certain movements that I do that I know are money makers for me. And yeah. I know that there's other moves that I've done that I've never seen any fucking development from. And I always think like, uh, you know, when you start like kind of doing stuff and like, you know, like let's say like a fly, for example, like a chest fly, which still to this day, I like have never felt any fucking pec development out of a fly. And I've like pronated supined, And the only one that I've ever felt it in is that stupid fucking machine that you sit in that does this, you know, the one at like gold's gym that like, you know, guys usually use for some form of rear delt. That's uh, not the pec deck with the, the pads, but the one where the handles, you grab the handles and they're yeah, they yeah. kind of move.
2: Yeah, this guy
1: here. Yeah, you yeah, like the chest fly? That yeah. fucking machine, I can find the exact hand position and the exact fucking motion, and I can hit that thing, and that's the only machine, but I can't mimic it with a fucking dumbbell.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that, you know, is like you said, it comes back to, to preference. Um, but that also could be because that machine is putting you in a more lengthened position than you're, than you're naturally finding when you switch over in your street weights and go to dumbbells, and then you start compensating in some other type of motor pattern. So you know it could it could be because if you're fighting it every time in that machine it means it's there it means that yeah. you're not getting in that particular position when you're when you're going to dumbbells
1: but but i mean that's a that's a just an a an example of like um you know people having not enough training experience or enough like uh you know positive i guess you could say adaptation or enough, enough observation to find that like you know like we were talking about like that fucking hammer incline like I love that hammer incline like to me yeah. um, I dude. I will have one of those at our gym. Did you end
2: up? Did you end up buying
1: that thing? Uh, I tr- uh, I had to drive to Dallas, which is like a three-hour drive, and the guy. I still got a deposit on it, so I'd, I'm just waiting to go up there. That's when you said you were in Dallas. I was like, "Fuck, yeah. maybe I could go up there and get my you fucking." Yeah, on. you should have figured that all out, on uh, trip. Dude, No, I mean that's. I uh, um, I had three birthday parties on Saturday uh, for yeah. my kids, and then uh, we had my daughters. Uh, they have a horse show that they rode in, so like my weekend was absolutely screwed. But yeah, I, yeah, I was bummed we couldn't we couldn't meet up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it comes back to what I was talking about with, like, structures. That um, And that's a lot of what we went over this weekend is that there's going to be some movements um, that are just not going to fit with some people um, just because they've got, you know, their femurs are this long or, you know, or or, or because, uh, you know, they've got so much tissue. You know, certain big guys don't fit in certain movement patterns specifically, literally just because they're too big to perform those in the way that the next person does. And that was something we looked at a lot. With all the people this weekend, is that when you work with a lot of people in a group like that, and you're actually looking, you actually start looking at mechanics, and you're not trying, you understand everybody's gonna have a little bit different mechanics. Not everybody's gonna look the same, and not everybody's gonna be lined up the same. Now, there, there are some specific rules you wanna use, like for a long time, and I still see who's that one that one guy, is a Jeff Cavalier or whatever, some of the stuff that he teaches, the athlete X guy, you ever follow him, John?
3: Yeah, you've seen him, John. I've
1: oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he just looks like... Um, he's 130 pounds, I think. Aaron Lipsy. <laughs> With uh, his Adam's apple looks like he actually had an Adam's apple enlargement surgery. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there's such a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, like, he, he's I like, like I, I, I want to have three times my, Yeah, it
3: just doesn't really pop. Uh, you know, can you give me one of those... I, uh,
1: I need an Adam's apple that looks like a fucking uh, grapefruit. How do I get that? <laughs> he's fucking... That guy's a weirdo. His chest looks awful, too. I'm like, ugh.
2: Yeah, there's, uh, like, even he, like, we put up something last week, and me and Alan Kress have talked about this, and I wanted to, I'm trying to do a better job of of getting some of this information out to the masses, but even simple stuff, like, when people talk about, this was forever, like, you know, tricep work, you know, you're going to try to work the long head of the tricep, you need to be in this position, but that's wrong, because the long head wraps around and attaches to the scapula, right? So when I'm putting this position now, I'm asking the long head to be wrapped around like this in the shoulder. This is a terrible position for it to be in. Creates a lot of torque through the elbow, and you actually don't get the long head. You can't really work in this active position very well. And so people forever, people would say, "Well, if you're going to do like tricep work, like be right here, right?" But that's wrong. Like if you're trying to actually work the long head of the tricep, it runs back across the shoulder. Yeah. So why would you twist? and make it come across the shoulder like that if you're actually trying to make it work optimally.
1: Well, I, now, I, it's easier. I, I always found for the tricep, <laughs> like uh, laying on your back, what do they call, jam presses, where you bring you know, the, the dumbbells down this way and then extend right. out that way. The, right. is, that, is that a jam press? I, I, the, fuck, I don't know what the
2: they call it. The jam press is the one that kind of, it's like a parts. Oh, no, grip.
1: no, like the one where you bring it like this way and then drive back that. With um, the dumbbells? Yeah, with the dumbbells. Yeah. It, like to yeah. me, and that listen. fucking, that hits, I mean, just that position this way opposed from this position, fucking night and day difference.
2: Right. Because anytime you get internally rotated right, like that, right? It's the shoulder. Then the long head of the tricep ends up having to wrap around the shoulder. It's a very inefficient position for the for the triceps to be in. Anytime you have elbow extension, you're going to work the, the medial and short head of the triceps. You don't even need to worry about working those motherfuckers. You need to worry about just working the long head. The other two get hit by default, right? Yeah. So the positioning you gotta be in, I gotta be in, is essentially this one right here, right? And you can literally, I can take people. You can find that what's called we call it like a soft spot that works in there where you're gonna have the tricep, the shoulder in the most stable position, so the tricep can have the maximum amount of output. But you still have a lot of people that you know are going out and teaching this bullshit right here. And there's, there's a lot of bad misinformation that is contributing to people having a lot of problems that make them worse from training than making them better from training, true. Like one of the ones, and I'll be expounding on this more, is like the whole, you know, pack the, the shoulder packing thing that's taken over over the last 10 or 15 or 20 plus years with the scapula having healthy retraction, you know, like every pressing movement or retraction and depression. we have a, a significant amount of shoulder injuries that we're seeing now because of that constantly being preached and taught over and over again. And that it's safer or it's more stable. It's not. It's completely dysfunctional. So what you're saying is when you go into scapular retraction and you're holding it there while you're pressed is that your fucking interior serratus have no function and they shouldn't be allowed to function. And you're saying that your traps have no function and shouldn't be allowed to function either.
3: Yeah, I mean,
1: oh, but on a bench press, like, like if you're benching for maximal load on a bench press, actually dropping or retracting the shoulder blades creates a shorter motion, it's shorter, so but that's it's more only, efficient.
2: That's the only benefit of doing
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, that's if why. I'd otherwise,
2: you're, yeah. Otherwise, what happens is you shorten that space in the acromion, and so the, the super actually gets a tremendous amount of friction every time you're doing pressing like that. And then on top of that, you turn the pecs off. So when you think about this, right, like all the guys that have blown out pecs and all the guys that have blown out shoulders and powerlifting, I love when powerlifting people try to argue with me on this. I'm like, right, because powerlifting is the best for fucking shoulder health, right? That's where we want to go to, to find people with great fucking shoulders,
1: right? So what do you think you think uh, for the bench press, not, you know, like, um, you know, not, not kind of rocking into position to get a more efficient position, but actually keeping the back more flat well, on the bench?
2: Want, well, the thing is, like, okay, you want tension around the scapula anytime sure. you're pressing, right? So when you go into the eccentric, you want tension around the scapula. But there is a scapula humerus rhythm, right, that has to happen that's natural by the body. Like, it's kind of like these dumbasses that talk about going into scapular like depression or retraction before they do a that, pull down or chin up. I'm like, um. okay, if you're hanging – hanging from a fucking cliff and you need to pull yourself up to save your life. Do you go into fucking depression or retraction before you just pull yourself up over the cliff or do you just pull yourself up over the cliff? A lot of it's just natural movement, but if there's a natural rhythm that should be working in concert between the scapula and the humerus, right? So when I go into retraction like this, And you have the traps and the rhomboids that you want to use those to create tension, to create stability around the scapula for the shoulder so it'll be stable, right? But when you go into the concentric portion of a press, you need the scapula to rotate around the rib cage. That's how it's designed. That's how all of that musculature is designed. It's not designed to be held back in there. So what's happening is that your anterior serratus is also trying to pull you into protraction. But since you're trying to hold it back there, you decrease that space in the shoulder joint, which now is going to rub up and down, and create a lot of friction against the supraspinatus, and you create a tremendous amount of dysfunction between that I'm trying to push something, you're trying to pull something. The pecs are attached over to the humerus, right? And they're trying to shorten, which they can't do. The pecs literally cannot shorten when you're trying to press this. Does that seem very ideal from a physiological or anatomy standpoint? If my, you can literally, you guys can do this right now. If you go into retraction and push forward, put your hand on that pec. Is it is it is it contracted?
3: I can't find my pack. Um, <laughs> uh,
1: it's a bowl. Of this is what comes down, and 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 I think sets. I think what we're running into is people take simple little cues and they overcook them and they take them to the extremes. Like the ones we saw for years was like the knees out deal, like. You want your knees to track over your insteps, you know, like squat in a good position. And the problem was, is, uh, you know, if you get fucking to the bottom of the squat and you feel like you're getting blocked, if you drive your knees out a little bit, you can usually squat a little bit deeper and it helps with some other things. But then well, all of a yeah, sudden, the reason,
2: right. The reason right, you open the hips up like that is it's, uh, depending on the function of what we're trying, the intent we're trying to get out of the squat, do we want full knee flexion? Because you can't get to terminal knee flexion without having a certain amount of external hip
1: rotation. Hey. But but then so, people started teaching the knees out squat where now all of a sudden as people are squatting their knee is driving far outside of their fucking toe box and now yeah, and, and, it, and, it and to just, do it they have to roll should, up on the side of the outside yeah. of the foot.
2: Yeah, and that that comes back to people consistently not understanding the a range they need to be in. Yeah. Right, it's a range that you need to be in for your structure. So when you're going to the bottom of a squat, you and you're trying to get full knee flexion, right, to the point of terminal, like. You have to have some external hip rotation that happens in order to continue driving forward, you know. And then you're going to have what ideally what you want to have, say, if you're trying to bias the quad, say, in a squat, is that you would have you wouldn't run out of uh, of knee flexion, so that you're having to you're end up having to essentially um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for compensate with more hip flexion in order to get what what uh, most people think is more knee flexion. But you have to look at all these things, and that's often limited by the amount of ankle mobility that somebody has, too, right? Because if a guy's got shitty ankle mobility, he's going to be higher than the next. Okay, so one guy's got shitty ankle mobility, but he wants to use the squats, bias the squats. Well, he needs full terminal hip or knee flexion,
1: right? Dude, your knee has to come forward to at least the toe, if not more, to get the quad involved. That's what, uh, and then. 100%.
2: So you take the next guy, so you take him and he's got shitty ankle mobility. So we're going to put him on some squat wedges so that way he doesn't have to worry about his sh- shitty ankle mobility. He gets full of knee flexion, he really buys his squats. But you take the next guy and you look at him and he can get into full knee flexion, you know, without in, you know, posterior pelvic tilt or any kind of problems where he's having to overcompensate anywhere and he doesn't. You know, but all these things are on an individual basis. And what are you using that lift for? Because you can use the, the squat, or um, lack of that you may have, you can use the squat for a great quad developer, but you're maybe not in the form or In other words, you may need to elevate your heels. If you're a tall guy, I say, hey, I want to squat to develop my quads. What's the best way to do it? Well, it may be different for a guy that's five foot six and has two inch hemers. So the tall guy like that, but then you can take the squat. Let's say you have, you hit terminal knee flexion at the same time that you get your full terminal hip flexion it's going to be a more integrated movement where you're kind of here you're hitting the quads but you're kind of hitting the glutes you know and everything's kind of getting worked and you distribute the amount of tension fairly equally but you can also use squat and target the glutes a little more then you know depending on how that lever arm is situated why when you get to the bottom and you have a little bit more you're sitting back more you have more hip hinge and you have less knee flexion going on and what happens is that because people don't think in these concepts when they're applying movements then they're not always sure exactly what they're targeting. They are not always really sure what the problem is or why this isn't growing or how they can have better movement selection, and that usually means that their programming ends up being pretty shitty too. Because if you don't know what the fuck tissue that you're targeting when you do those five sets, then how do you know what, what's getting work, what's not getting work? It becomes a crapshoot at that point.
1: So and even with so, that, what's though, the fix though? I mean, is, uh, is it like a training
3: seminar? So getting in before yeah. getting into the fix it's not just tissues work like there's movements that will cause people pain because of the same exact reasons right and they're like well i can't squat and i've worked you know we've worked with dudes at our seminars who are like no i can't squat it hurts my hip and then you adjust foot position stance bar, rack bar position, position bar yeah. position and next thing you know dude's squatting and it's like well congratulations you have your new fucking lease on life and you can squat you know right and because just,
2: he was, because maybe he was, jam, he maybe he was jamming up his, his hip joint in the way that he was squatting before, mm-hmm. and that was the problem. And a lot of times, one of the things that that we go over um, a lot that I'm that I'm, I'm delving into, like with the group biomechanics script that I'm working with too, is that a lot of the things that we 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 think are pain, um, it's not that we don't have pain or something. Every movement you perform has the potential to be a corrective movement. That's another huge another huge problem that we fucking have. Is if you need to go into the gym and do 15 minutes of mobility shit, and you need 10 more minutes of this warm up and there's 10 more minutes of this fucking activation, your training sucks. Your training <laughs> fucking sucks.
1: Uh, I always wanted to know when. Uh, what, what, what was it? When did uh, fucking rehab, prehab become training? Like when we see all this shit. Like we were. I'm always like, uh, man. I know it was. Dude, Al-
2: I've been training. I've been training 30 years. I've torn my pec. I've torn my quad. I have it permanently. uh, dislocated shoulder uh, that has permanent shoulder separation. Uh, I could go through a list of injuries. When I walk into the gym, I go to the station, the first exercise, and I start my warmup set right there. Because every movement that you do, if you're doing it correctly, takes the muscle through a full range of motion. It trains mobility, it trains strength, it trains correctiveness if you're doing them problem. So the point is, if you're in rehab purgatory, your fucking training sucks. And the way that you're performing your movements suck and you need to correct those things first. You should if you have an injury that's different, you know, you're having to do something to rehab the injury, but the whole point of doing that stuff is to not have to do it anymore.
4: I agree with you. Yeah. No, I mean it was Al Al with on one of Zach Evanesh's podcasts, he just was outraged and didn't know when training rehab and prehab became training. Like, like it's just old man getting. Yeah,
2: I felt like there was a there was a yeah, a paradigm shift with that, with the cross when CrossFit came in and Kelly Star it was kind of at the height of its popularity and the whole yeah, supple leopard. It's all
1: case bars. probably. I mean, it, yeah. It, well, the the thing is, everybody wanted to be level ninety nine supple leopard, which actually just means that you can blow yourself
3: blow on yourself do
1: you remember what do, you mean? do you remember when will uh, will ferrell <laughs> yeah remember when he came out he's like, like i, I never Yoda. have to leave the house <laughs> that's level 99 supple leopard
2: yeah and, and and i you should know this too john as an athlete you actually kind of desire a certain level of a certain degree of stiffness oh like yeah, for power and speed and strength dude. like it, if you have if you have hypermobility you're going to be weak as fuck
1: Dude, uh, I dude, we we as we taught all these seminars, I used to tell people that fucking um, uh, what was it like um, flex or. Um Mobility without stability. Yeah, mobility without stability is equal to injury because we would watch these guys try to squat or get to something, and they get to their most vulnerable position, which is usually like the bottom of a movement, like a squat, for example. And if you don't have a certain amount of fucking strength and rigidity, and you know, like too much of this hypermobile, you have to have
2: a certain amount of tightness.
1: Yeah, well, uh, but that's what strength is, and if you're too hypermobile in these positions, you're going to fucking hurt yourself.
3: I don't know, man. Jean Claude Van Damme could do the splits, and he's bad motherfucker. So, I think you're wrong, Paul. Sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah, but he's also Belgian, and they make awesome waffles, and we don't.
3: So. You know what? And I beer. haven't really considered that. And beer. You're right. <laughs> uh, but
1: but he never fought uh, your your idol Steven Seagal.
3: No, I've I've dreamt of the day and then Seagal to be a douche and get. Ex-
1: I don't know how I, uh, the Expendables uh, booted uh, him. Dude, uh, I saw the fucking video of Seagal, and he was like in like doing some martial arts thing. He puts like a towel in his gi. Like, cause he's sweating so bad that he has like a towel in his. Yeah, it's front. A teaching
3: towel. <laughs> <laughs> you never, you never had one of those. No.
1: <laughs> he, turned, he turned out to be such a weird fucking
2: dude, yeah,
3: right? Yeah, it's a shame. I don't know. I mean, I feel <sighs> like you. I, I remember back
2: when Above the Law came out, like when I was like a kid. Above the Law, I must have watched that movie. Like when Steven Seagal was such a bad motherfucker. That's what that I'm dude. saying. We just talked about when, this the other day. He
1: had the fucking pool, uh, the the pool cue ball in the fucking in the, cow- stock, in the, in the, in the towel. And he hits that dude in the face and knocks his teeth out, and then the guy's like, "You knocked my teeth!" And he hits him again. Mm-hmm. Fucking unbelievable. Yeah,
2: yeah. I like was that. That was the same. It was the same way. Like when he was uh, when he was trying to find like his uh, his uh, niece, and he's in the bar, and he's like, he, he's yo, he's like, yo, man, have you seen this girl? And he's like, I've seen the back of her head. <laughs> yeah. And they all laughed. And he's like, Yeah, that's good. Just beats the fuck out of everybody in the bar. I just that that. And then the, now he's like this four hundred and seventy five pound guy that just. I can't even well,
4: stand good, good news, Paul. They just announced Above the Law 2, and I am not kidding.
3: Starring? Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. Do you think that they'll have the patented uh, dislocated elbow scene? That's what me and my dad always used to wait for, like when he breaks somebody's fucking elbow backwards. Uh,
4: Every movie. Check it. Dude. Uh, so it was 1988, so we're talking
1: 30-plus <laughs> years. So, sequel as much as I love talking about Seagal, do you think that there is a difference like, between legitimate <laughs> market? <laughs> is there a difference between, but do, like, do you think there's like a legitimate? Cause, uh, it's pretty interesting. Like I, I try to stay away from fucking Teabag Nation as much as possible, but because we're friends, uh, I usually read your articles and then right. I'll go through and I'll click through the comments like your um, European bodybuilder friend who was trying to fucking convince you that, that was <laughs> this. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll click through and I'll read the comments and. Uh,
3: Look at his face, it, dude. <laughs> dude you turn <laughs> fucking red. It's
1: like, I'll, I'll text Paul and be like, this is fucking bananas. These people are fucking. Uh, something is wrong with these individuals. And like, I'll read
0: read these comments.
1: No, but I, I like, like, as I'm reading these comments, I wonder if like these guys would somehow not have the level of fucking moron that they exhibit. If like, there was like, uh, like a training seminar or something like you put something on where they could come in and actually learn how to train, but like find like a movement selection that kind of fits within their body, understand this because yeah,
2: and that was I, yeah that's that 's what yeah that 's what we do, and the problem is, is it 's a good that, idea <laughs> it 's such a great idea john and i don 't know why I would thought of that I don 't know why. why I was going to suggest don't it to you guys, why don 't work with guys to do that, but the thing is <laughs> is
3: <laughs> no but like I've i like, like, like
1: I, I know you do I this been, i know you do this and it's been like the last four days doing that no and, but uh, i know you do this and
3: i was trying to make you a joke. Do it for free I, so no, I, everybody can
1: go i was making a joke because like fuck it's just like the questions and i'm like fuck like go to a fucking seminar you guys, obviously, I don't know how you get out. I like, I don't know who's reminding these people to breathe. If
2: you want me to get on a, a rant, like here, here's my my biggest thing. Number one, you know, we I have, have these I'll conversations with a lot with, with so many of the guys that I respect. And a huge part is, um, I think that we, when you have somebody like that, like a Bradley Martin, that's got like a fucking million followers and doesn't offer a a single thing, productive thing to the fitness community, and he's got a million followers that it's not like a I used to be like yeah Bradley Martin's a fucking douche but actually if you step back and look at it and go well Bradley's just giving putting something out and then everybody's deciding that that's what it is they want to see right like look at this Robert Frank guy that we just talked about that I can't fucking stand Like have, you, ha,
3: just, have you ever watched his videos
2: uh, I have not voluntarily they come across my feed and I get through three seconds and I want to punch him right in the fucking mouth
3: I mean I just figured he was joking I yeah I just figured he's the world's biggest troll his, 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 yeah
2: and I think I mean clearly that's just stick, right? But I just I my mean, here's my thing. It's like I don't I hate that we put that stuff up on a please watch this. I'm friends with some of the smartest uh, guys when it comes to this this stuff in the world. There's this huge conglomerate of people out there that want to get better, that want to be stronger, that want to be healthier, want to look better, want to perform better, all that kind of stuff. But they're following Bradley Martin or Robert Franker. They're following, you know. Uh, I don't know, man, any number of people that I see that have, you know, 200, 300, 400, 500,000 followers that aren't what I consider like educators, right? Maybe they got a great body or maybe they, you know, they post up a really cool looking meal sometimes, or maybe they are funny or whatever. They're just using people just following for entertainment. But the point is, is that most of these people, they want something free and they feel entitled. And they show up in my DMs or my inbox all day long asking questions when I run a coaching service, when I run seminars. And as soon as you put that out there, like come out and learn. Like I will be there to help you in person for three days. They don't want to pay any money for it. And I talked to John about this too. Um, John had asked my social media, it's like, uh, you know, like where can I, where do you guys want me to come to? They said overwhelmingly it was Chicago. So he made a trip to Chicago, and said, hey guys, the link for the seminar out for Chicago is out. He had five people sign up. And so as soon as you ask people to pay any money to come out to get better at this, to get educated, to learn things, they don't want, you. They just want to. They just want to buzz up in your DMs. And there's so much misinformation that when here's the problem, it's kind of like I was talking about with the whole one of our, one of our big pushes to help people understand to quit fucking up your shoulders by doing the shoulder packing shit. Um, and then N1 is collecting a lot of data on this. They're going to show this. Like, this is not even going to be like a disputable thing at some point. That That's kind of the work towards. Um, is that the thing is when you try to educate people because they've been listening to so many dumbasses for so long that just regurgitate what other dumbasses say. It's like that monkey joke where you put the monkeys in the, the cage and you spray them and they try to get the bananas. You guys know that joke,
3: right? Uh, just tell it. Go ahead.
2: Well, it's it's I'm trying to remember the context of it. It's basically... They took, uh, you take like five monkeys and you put them in a cage and you put bananas on the other side of the cage. And when they, one of them goes try to get the bananas, you spray the fuck out of them with a high pressure hose. And then every time they go, like they'll, so you spray them and they'll run back and then they'll try to get the bananas and you spray them with the high pressure hose. And so you take one of the monkeys out and then you put a new monkey in. when that new monkey, he would try to go to the, the, to get the bananas, they would all beat the shit out of you, Right. And so then you take that another monkey out and replace him and when he tries to get the bananas They beat the shit out of him. And eventually, you know, with five new monkeys that have never been sprayed and every time one of them does try to get the bananas, they get the shit beat out and they don't even know why. So my analogy there is you get people that repeat shit throughout the industry that has to do with biomechanics or nutrition or training programming or whatever. They're just repeating shit they heard from other people who don't know why they're repeating it. And then when you say – when you challenge that, when you create an ideological challenge to that that identity, that training identity that they cultivated and created, they get very upset.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? Well, they cling to it because uh, this is their identity and this is something that, oh, that's, that God, we, God, we have – well, As
2: soon as you push up hard, rub up hard against something somebody really no. believes and they don't want to believe that, it becomes an attack fest, right? Then yeah. you, somehow they've created – Their identity is in those beliefs, right? You guys know this well. If you believe something, cognitive your bias is a hard bitch, right? Like she's going to push us very, very, very hard to look at, okay, this is, I'm right about this. And I know that I'm right about this. I had a huge paradigm shift over the last year with all my training stuff and how I was teaching it because I was open enough to say, hey, there had people come to me and say, Paul, here's some different things we want you to look at. But I was open-minded to say, is this different? And as I started doing that, I was like, wow, there's so much stuff that I used to believe that I got taught by other people that's, that's wrong. just, wrong.
1: Yeah. It's well, just wrong. It's it's but having a- in my opinion that
2: should be part of wanting to be a better coach, wanting to be a better educator, wanting to be a better learner. Is that it's okay to say you're wrong.
1: No, nah, well, it's a growth mindset, and I think if you subscribe to performance instead of like dogma, then if something comes wrong, like hey, like um, you know, we teach, you know, I've I've always taught on the bench press that I want to kind of drop and retract my shoulder blades and I want to get my lats more involved. And dude, if uh, if it's negative and hurting the shoulder and it's a it's a bad movement pattern, then we got to look and maybe teaching it. I also don't like to overcook stuff, so I'm not trying to like fucking do it till i'm trying to shit myself but i usually right. want to create you know hold myself into a good position so i can create a long shorter stroke but you know if there's something and there's good information and somebody's teaching something that i can look at that changes you know makes a paradigm shift or or allows us to uh ramp up and continue to chase performance then i think you have to have um a, you know i don't know if the word what the word is but like you know, not be so ego driven that you can't fucking change because you know that's the problem with internet experts is they figured out everything, and, and so oh, that they can't fucking do know, anything.
2: I was the same way. So like, you know, I bench right close to five hundred pounds in my prime, and you know, if I wanted to be that guy and say, okay, well, I like, well, who are you to argue with me? Because you know, I inclined to almost five, like my bench and incline were close. I I overhead press almost four four hundred pounds and inclined almost five hundred. Uh, my, my best close grip bench was 485 pounds. And I can sit back and say, well, Hey dude, like you don't even bench 400. So who are you to argue with me? But that shit isn't fucking relevant. Like there's lots of really strong guys that do stupid ass shit. Right? Like what we want to make sure that we're doing is that we're teaching people the right way to do things so so that they they're not. The biggest thing is you always want to leave a guy in better shape and just not leave him in worse shape than when you found him. Right? like That's a huge part of helping people with any of this stuff, is making sure you, at minimum, at the very minimum, you don't make him any worse. Right? So, And a lot of this stuff that gets taught across the board is that we're seeing is it makes people worse. The the whole scapula thing has become, I don't know where it came from, but apparently your scapula is not supposed to work. Like when you do side laterals, in order to have the greatest amount of output by the medial delt, right, and side lateral, well, you need scapular elevation. And so if you're locking your scapula down, right, then what happens is you, you're you asking now, you're asking, you're gonna help your, your medial delt has to actually try to help stabilize and keep that scapula down. Whereas if you allow upwards elevation of a scapula, the traps get to perform naturally as a stabilizer to help do that. So since they're helping to stabilize the scapula, the medial delt can have the greatest amount of output in that movement. So it, this whole thing with people locking their scapula down it's been rampant across co- coaching coaching circles for a long time but when you ask them why well a lot of times they'll say well because we're trying to um, we're trying to isolate something more a better way to look at something is say I don't want to take something out I want to get more output from something I'm trying to work those are two very different mentalities so instead of saying, I don't want upper traps because now that's the other thing. What upper traps are like the demon chain now. So we don't want upper traps to do anything. They're there for a fucking reason. They do a lot of good things.
1: Well, actually right? traps are really the only way that, you know, somebody lifts weights. Like for me, at least like, I, yeah. I always think like if a dude has big traps, I'm like, ah, he probably pulls some heavy weight. He probably lifts some. So like for me, traps are the instant representation. I mean, we always joke that like, you know, skinny dudes with abs. I'm like, ah, big traps. That's always a better one.
2: Yeah. I wrote, I wrote that article, right? But yeah, but did I, mean, did I,
1: did I steal that from you? Fuck. I think I stole that from you then
2: you said like, yeah, that was mine. That was traps with <laughs> new abs. Right? I, I,
1: I just figured that like, yeah, traps were the good representation of people that fucking lift weights, but it's good.
2: Yeah. And and that's the thing. is like when you start breaking down a lot of these, um, that was, an, that's another thing we go through. So it's called co contraction. So anytime that you're performing a movement, you're going to have another movement that has to function along with the the protagonist, you know, the main, the main mover, the primary mover in that movement, it's gonna have muscles working in concert with it that work as a stabilizer and a co-contraction point because they're pulling the opposite direction, right? So anytime, like when you're performing a side lateral, if the delt is pulling this way, right, this way, right, then you need an equal amount of force pulling this way as well to help stabilize the joint. So what does that? So in in something as simple as a side lateral, what's gonna do that provide that co-contraction or that adequate stabilization force is gonna be the traps. So, when you lock them down, try to take them out of the movement, what happens? You're creating dysfunction in the shoulder joint. So, across the board, we see so many of these patterns being taught that are poor. They create poor motor patterns. And guys have a lot of injuries or they're, they're just, they just move shitty. Like, none of this stuff is naturally how we're supposed to move, right? Think about it. Like, when you, John, when you were playing, like, did you go, I got to make sure I fucking lock this shoulder down this way or whatever? Or did you just be like, I mean, I need to run over this guy or
1: explode into this guy? Well, or my brother-in-law? I'll just tell you the, uh, well, one, I only bugged brother-in-law like a few times. So that wasn't the majority of my career. Uh, but the, <laughs> the second was I learned a real valuable lesson pretty early on. I remember I went to punch a guy and I remember my shoulder was on the front of the scapula, kind of overextended. And he yanked on my arm and tore my labrum so i had to go right. get my shoulder and i figured out that a shoulder that's kind of like back here like in this position is a safe yep. shoulder shoulder safe unsafe shoulder so and they they also teach defensive lineman to to, yeah so if you can play with your thumb up elbow down and my shoulder dropped and retracted like not elevated but kind of dropped into this position and kind of be able to pull it back and put on the back of the scapula that was a much safer position for the shoulder in terms of pass bro punching and all that now now getting to the point where you're fucking squeezing and and like overcooking it it's more like
2: it's just a little bit they get confused when i start they get confused when I start talking about this because there's a difference. Um, you you want stability. You want tension around the joints. That's how you get stability, right? But the thing is, is like when you have opposing forces, you don't want to hold the joints in that position. You want them to move naturally yeah. with the greatest amount of stability around them.
3: Well, but that's it just how, goes back to people...
1: How- yeah. People overcook these things and it's like all of a sudden, like something like, Hey, if like, Hey, I wanted to use like a little bit of tension. I want the shoulder in the back of the scapula and I want to make sure, you know, you keep it there and then it moves. But then you get people like, okay, I want you to 10 X that is what, what we always see. And it's yeah. just this over-tension to
3: task as our buddy Antlow would yeah. say, just, so these, just enough tension to accomplish the task. But yes,
2: yeah. yes. Yeah. And everything is what I was talking about earlier is like, for example, you know, one of my favorite tricep movements is the is crossbody, like uh, tricep, you know, cable extensions. Like you want tension on the scapula there, like. But I'm not going. I don't feel the need to drop like my scapula into depression and retraction. But I do put tension around it, right? Because, because again, the tricep since the tricep runs across the shoulder joint, I want the shoulder joint to be stable so the tricep can have the greatest amount of output during the muscle. So I use those other muscles to help create stabilization in the shoulder girdle. So that way the triceps is not having to try to do that. Right, and you guys ever see that um, when people like when they're, they're, like they're having, um, when they're, they're doing an exercise and they get all that shaking. You know what I'm talking about like Yeah, that? We,
3: uh, Wheel cogging or cogwheeling, I've, I've heard it called like where it's like duh, 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 the judder.
2: Well, it's like, yeah, they're shaking like when they're doing something. Tension, that's tension on, tension off, tension on, tension off, tension on, tension off. They don't have stability. That joint's not, it's not very stable. So, but when you put stability in a joint, then you allow the muscle the greatest amount of output. You won't, a lot of those kind of things will disappear. You'll see that disappear.
1: Just helps to get stronger. I mean, that's yeah, like the, it, I the majority of people we see. Usually
2: just overall it tends to solve a lot of problems.
1: No, nah, I mean, like, like the majority of things that I've seen, especially like uh, on, a, I, I have to go back to, uh, I'll go train at Gold's on occasion just to remind myself of what like really shitty stuff looks like. And I'll go in there and like, you almost want to like wrap people up in like fucking hostage blankets or like, you know, those blankets, like the, the FEMA blankets. I want to like mm-hmm. wrap them up in a FEMA blanket and be like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault like yeah just I, hold him Yeah, like dude i'm so sorry i'm so sorry this is your life like i'm so sorry you got stuck on this paradigm here's paul carter's card go to a seminar
3: but yeah like I- does part of me wants to lean to the side like we're we're over and you, here's the thing you're on the front line cuz we're we're fortunate enough to kind of be on like the more trainable later life cycle switched on like that's kind of our market um i shouldn't say always but I feel like it shouldn't. People just go lift some weights. Like you just got to suck a little bit, and you, you're going to suck. For, what did Jesse Burdick say years ago? Like go live on five by, go live on Five by Five Island for five years, yeah. and then come back, and then you've earned your card to question something. You know,
2: yeah. dude, it, man, I'll tell you what. If there is any is if there's any manifestation of that that you see, it's that more more days than not, I end up having to deal with some shit talking. By some dickbag with a private profile on Instagram.
3: Mm. Yeah,
4: <laughs> Paul, I got a great quote on one of your comments on one of your articles here that I pulled up. This guy comments, "I feel like Paul Carter spends half his time writing quality articles and then spending the next half face-palming himself into a coma through all these comments." <laughs>
3: <laughs> He's not laughing. <laughs> it's, dude, it's uh,
1: like. I stay off Teabag Nation, uh, but I'll tell you this. Like, when you post an article, I fucking read it, and I laugh at the comments. I just think, like, oh, that, that was pretty good. Let me read the comments. It's like YouTube commenters, dude. It's it's fucking, like, I...
2: I agree with a lot, too, because I feel like the, you know, you brought that up earlier. We didn't get to delve into it, like, it's so much. But there is... There's so much, and I don't mean... I don't know any other way to say it. There's so much moronic idiocy like most of the guys that are posting every time i see them writing i just think to myself you're the poster child for mental poverty so like i don't when it comes to training anyway it's just the stuff that they say you repeat half of it's just like you know n equals one anecdotal shit without any time real time in the trenches some of the guys that can't tell have ever picked up a fucking weight in their life and they come in they like well this guy doesn't know what he's talking about Never mind that they train zero people, work with no one, they haven't they don't have any development of their own to talk about. Um, and it's just I think it's just people they want they have the need for self-importance, right? They John, they want to show up and say, Hey, I got a voice too, motherfucker. Let me be heard and so that I can feel important. And then I have to remind myself sometimes I don't ever feel like I get that called I get called like an influencer or educator. I have to remind myself because I don't ever feel that way. I just feel like a normal dude that's been thrust into this position. And so I still talk like that to people and then sometimes like either like my girlfriend or somebody else or whatever happens, like Paul, you need to like respond differently. All I'm like, no man, fuck these people. And that's just cause I'm still that guy. Right. I don't know how to not be that guy. Right. Cause that's just the way that I talk. And I talk like that in person. And then sometimes as you guys can see, probably like having me on here, it comes across in conversation different than somebody reads it online. Oh,
1: 100%. Dude, I've uh, I've I've said things and people get butthurt and I'll type it and be like, just repeat those exact words back to yourself like we were sitting there in a personal setting right. and it doesn't. And then sound... follow
3: with the laugh track.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like, if you saw the inflection or you heard the inflection of my voice and the and the smile on my face when I said this, you wouldn't be offended.
2: Right. And that's, I mean, that's just how I talk. You know, somebody be like, oh, I'm so sorry you got, you got, you know, you got offended. I'm like, I'm not offended, dude. This is just, I just write like I talk. So if I'm talking to you, it's no different than if we were talking like this right here. And I'm like, it is the same way that you said, is if you were talking to me in person, you would be offended. But I don't, sometimes I have days and I guess maybe my estrogen is a little higher or I forgot my my test shot that week or something. But so I have days where I read the comments from the guys and I legitimately do feel bad for them, which is why I keep doing what I do because I legitimately do 100. Some days I have like, man, fuck these, fuck that guy, Days. You're a humanitarian.
1: I, like, I would have never pegged like, you as a humanitarian just trying to issue FEMA blankets to all these poor T-Nation guys through your there, articles.
2: I, yeah, it, it's it's crazy because I, I legitimately do feel for them a lot of times because I can remember, you know, being like a young guy and being frustrated and more than anything, you know, wanting to grow. And the other thing is I try to remind myself too, is try not to take it personal that if, you know, if I had somebody that just wants to talk shit on me or whatever, or just wants to talk shit on something I wrote, because you never know what's going on in life, in his life at that moment either. God knows I've had plenty of days in my life where I wrote stuff to to other people. And I was just, I was mad or I was hurt. I was going through something at that time. And they were just something that was in the way of me being online. And that doesn't, it doesn't make it okay, but I think we all fall prey to that at times in our life where we're like, I'm having a really bad day or I'm shitty. And I read this comment, now I'm about to take take it out on this this guy here. And like I said, it comes back to you. Know, some people, I've had people tell me you need that to behave uh, a little differently online. And I do, I really do try to do my best, but I have, I have days where I'm just like, man, I've answered that question 400 times today. Sure. And you didn't even bother to read the caption. So you're going to get it now. Now you're going to get it. You're number 401 and I answered 400 times and you didn't read the caption and you didn't read through the comments. So you know what? I'm about to break my foot off in your ass. And then the guy's like, I had a really bad interaction with Paul Carter. And I'm like,
1: he's an asshole.
2: Right. He's an asshole.
3: Real dickbag. I thought about
2: that with celebrity, (laughs) with celebrities before. Like every once in a while you'll hear that, that thing from somebody like, well, I met this one celebrity. He's a total dickhole. I'm like, dude, you don't, you don't, maybe he's not, maybe he's just a human being and he was having a bad day.
3: Sure. Paul, what do you think, um, if you had to guess, like this, this vocal herd of morons, our words, not yours, of course, uh, on like the commenting of your blogs and maybe even social, what do you think it represents of the actual population that actions, the, like the info that you provide for free on a platform that's totally open and they can choose to follow or not?
2: Right. And I, well, that's a Have you ever thought about part. that? Yeah, that's a confusing part to me. I'm like, if you hate my stuff and you think I'm a, I'm a cock holster, then I don't know why you're following me. I really don't like, I don't go out and follow people whose content I don't enjoy. So that's a weird thing to me. It's a weird thing for me to somebody to have a, an anonymous, you know, nickname online to go into a forum and talk shit about me too. But that's gone on for 10 years. I've never done that to anybody in my entire life because I don't, I, it's, to me, that's such a waste of time
3: and I, I just think like
1: I think it's not, outrage culture man I, honestly, I think people want to be outraged by something they want to they, they that's, want, you but know?
3: that's fine and let's and maybe you know maybe I heeded this advice from you like week one of w- working with you John don't have heroes but like, like I don't feel compelled to have to agree a hundred percent with whoever the fuck I idolize or look up to and not only that people I fucking despise are also allowed to make some pretty good fucking points you know what I mean yeah. like
2: yeah that's that's a good point it's not like just wholesale like somebody but yeah you can dislike somebody overall or not have a good opinion but then they can still say something go that's a really good point Mm -hmm, or it can be somebody you totally like a lot overall and say yeah but i don't agree you don't have to agree with every fucking thing. Me and Pollock, when used to fight all the fucking time, and I told him what a dumb ass he was for telling everybody that he gained, like, 14 pounds of muscle from eating anabolic avocados. Like, you can go look that shit up. And I was like, Charles, you didn't fucking gain seven kilos of, of fucking muscle because you went to the Dominican Republic and ate, you know, like these, they, you know, their their native avocados. And we would fight like cats. <laughs> like, he, he you know, like, and I was like, it, it was a joke because everybody made fun of Charles about that, but I made fun of him to his fucking face about it. And told him it was it was a way for him to sell something.
3: Yeah, yeah, but that Al Harris diet, but uh, chicken nuggets and salt. I'm so on it, dude. If, if you think about like the,
1: um, like, yeah, well, one, yeah, don't have heroes, but I think if you value information and not the per like like uh i think what people do is they place the self-worth of the individual above the information and so therefore like the heroes can never be wrong and the villains can never be fucking right you know what i can that's a great point it's like um it uh if you have heroes they're gonna let you down eventually well that's and that's what this whole internet thing with followers and all this is like hero worship like case in point uh i think lane norton's a fucking dick bag and he's a fucking asshole to people and like how he belittles and all the fact that he pulls out his PhD all the time is like people talking about football and be like well you know I play in the NFL you don't know what the fuck you're talking about like right. it just it just doesn't bode well is his information yeah I read his book I really liked it uh I liked his fat loss forever uh I think the information he puts up in terms of like the spelling fucking miss is really good um is the way he does it uh extremely abrasive and just fucking like Douchey? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the, deli- the,
2: the delivery can be by Lane, can be very off putting to people, you know, which can be unfortunate because, like you said, Lane, there's a significant amount of good information that yeah. Lane puts out there. But the way that he, he cannot keep himself from interacting at times in a way that's very fucking immature and childish.
1: Yeah. And, and I think uh, it, It almost, well, it it does. It tarnishes the information and, like, in the validity and just makes him look like a fucking egotistical fucking asshole. But, you know what? I
2: remember. It's pretty funny. um, He got into it. you guys remember that when he got into it with Dorian Yates? Um, You can go look that up. He got into, like, a Twitter battle with Dorian Yates. And, you know. Lane Norton uh, did? Yeah, this was, you can, if you Google, like, Lane Norton, Dorian Yates, you'll find screenshots of, like, their Twitter battle and, You know, Wayne tries to talk to Dorian about some of the bodybuilding titles that he won. And I was like, okay, I wouldn't do that there
1: yeah um i think when it comes down to like uh like some like let's be like uncle rico
2: talking to you
1: about his, his uh, uh happens fucking all the time man people like oh you play football and then they tell me their high school football stories which i usually right hear john <laughs> which i usually will sit there and listen because i'm i'm legitimately interested in it but like it's kind of like um well you know you don't know i'm a phd is really like that's like being like Hey, uh, Dorian. I went and lifted some weights. Like, uh, dude, I pretty much started lifting weights because I saw Dorian Yates on the cover of Flex Magazine. Like, that yeah. was like I, I remember watching the Blood and Guts deal and thinking like, yeah. Dorian,
2: you know, it's funny. It's like, this Dorian was my idol, right? Oh, and uh, yes, yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw. I saw Lee Haney at the Olympia. The only two times people, two people I ever met, was kind of starstruck. And I've met everybody in the fucking industry. It is uh, I was Linda Murray and Lee Haney, and I've yet to meet Dorian, though. but like. Here was the crazy thing. We were in Vegas last week. And then I I, uh, I, was with Tony Freeman. Me and Tony Freeman were actually really, really good friends. And me and Tony were walking around the expo for a long time. And Tony's like, let's go talk to Lee. And I was like, I had that moment, right? I don't have many moments. I had it with Leonard Murray where I was like a little kid and I could not talk. And then with Lee, I was like, okay, just act like it's different. I don't know. It was like a chick. Like it was different. I me. Mean, I was like, I was so sheepish. I was like, like, that was like 12 years old. With Lee, I was just in awe because he's such an amazing person on top of, you know, being like the, the awesome bodybuilder that he was. Um, but I haven't met Dorian yet, and uh, it was probably an hour after I left Lee's booth that Dorian posted up. He was in the booth with Lee, like 30 minutes. Wow, like Dorian's the only guy I haven't met. And Dorian was the, the, easily my biggest influence. Oh, yeah. 100%. Easily my biggest influence in, in bodybuilding. His mentality was like, you as an athlete, you could. You could identify Dorian as a bodybuilder, right? Uh,
1: uh, the uh, the blood and guts, like we had it on. Uh, I think it was VHS or DVD. Uh, I remember watching that video, and I remember we were in college, and I remember thinking like, we don't fucking train hard enough. Like I like I I, I, <laughs> I just remember thinking like. Every fucking workout's going to start with fucking RDLs and fucking you know Yates rows. Like, uh, like we we always did bent over rows where the bar starts and ends on the platform. At that moment, everybody already yelled into it and fucking did the Yates row. And like, I, dude, to to this day, um, like I I'm not a, a like a bodybuilding fan. I don't really follow it, but like I follow like enough stuff on Instagram and like I see enough stuff posted to kind of like to to have like a I guess you could say like a cursory knowledge of it. I just haven't seen anybody that physically looked the way that Dorian Yates did ever. And even today, yeah. I mean, you see these guys like, like I, I, I always look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I look pretty good. Like when he walked out, I was like, Oh my God. Like it was like something out well, of like
2: one of the best, one of the best stories about how good Dorian was in his prime. It was the second Olympia win. When, remember when the black and white photos came out?
3: Yeah. Yeah. All green. How,
2: how, how old you guys are? How, how old are you? Uh, 36,
3: 43, 36.
2: 33. They're, 32 okay so like, i don't know john i think you. And I
1: um, um, right? yeah i'm 43
2: yeah i'm 44 so like when i don't know if you guys remember that's dorian yates black and white photos yeah but that that you guys don't remember that
1: no i i do i fucking remember no, I he, mean, he they was on don't, cover right? flex was,
2: to this to this day that's like the standard for fucking mass and bodybuilding yeah. like even with ronnie coleman and everything people still talk about the dorian yates black and white photos
1: yeah no, dude, his back, like, I mean, I just remember there was a picture of him, like, turning, like, to the side. And you could, yeah. like, <laughs> it was like he had, like, a chest on his back. Like, it was just, like, I, I'd never seen anybody, like, the, the back development and, like, his hamstrings and just, like, the thickness, like, from the backside. Like, Well, that's what I was going to say. Was, it
2: was the year the black and white photos came out was his second Olympia win. The first year is Olympia, he was second to Haney. Haney retired, Dorian won. But then it was his, it was his third Olympia, which was his second win. Dorian did not get a call out. Like, the, I guess the, the story, like he didn't get called out. They just, as soon as everybody come out, like they just saw him and go, okay, that's our winner. Let's just figure out who's second. So he didn't <laughs> actually even get a call out. Like that is not, that's fucking, hey, Dominic, like you said, John, like the thing about Dorian came out, I felt like separated him that made him so identical. I, uh, I, guys could identify with him so well, it's like even as athletes, was that his mentality, his approach transcended more than just bodybuilding, Right. Like Dorian was like he. I remember him saying. He said uh, when he'd see those guys out in California and the sun and their Ferraris and stuff, he'd always say, "I'm going to make you motherfuckers pay for that in September." Yeah, that yeah. is not. That's a mentality when you're like, "I'm going to be the absolute fucking best. I want to be the most atrocious beast I can be at this endeavor." That's the mentality that you can identify with, right? You're like, "I'm going to, I'm going to make you fucking." So like you like as as a, an NFL player, John, like you see these guys like in the off season they'll be slacking off This you could, you could identify with this. I'm going to make you fucking pay for that. Come you come December time. Right.
1: Yeah. It, it just, uh, yeah, no, I mean there, there's like a sense of pride, um, in like, not only like putting a body of work together that you're proud of and like a life well lived and go through all that stuff. But I, I think like, um, when i saw his training video and like like as i had read about it before and he had done like the mike Metzner one set to failure and i kind of like understood the training based off of Metzner's stuff and what he was doing i had no concept one of the volume that he was doing on the back side, on the front side of this stuff like hey like working right. up like you know he's doing fucking you know 135 for 20 225 315 4 like like the workup sets and the volume he's getting there up into this like one all out uh max fucking rep set with just like i mean dude there was like oh, what he had like 585 on the bar and he's fucking growing it for like you know like uh, double digit reps and he gets done and he's fucking smashed and fucking recovers and gets in there and just and then goes on to the next one it was like i fucking annihilated this one let's go hit it from another side and so like people are like oh he did one set to failure what they didn't see was the 10 fucking working upsets because nobody, you know, because people weren't handling well, the that volume what, uh, on the front side.
2: Don and I talked about that in the leg workout. We got done with the leg workout, and he goes, "How many sets would you call that?" And I said, "I had to sit and think," and I said, <laughs> four. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> and I, John. It's, it's kind of it's kind of semantics, yeah. right? Because John said he would call it. He said he would have called it. I think it was maybe seven. And I call. It, I think I, I even called it four or five. And John said it could be seven or eight. But the whole point was some semantical. It came back to we knew we worked really fucking hard.
1: Well then, that was uh, all that really mad. Uh, I always really like I kind of uh, adopted this from John Meadows the idea of like working sets. And so like hey like I don't give a fuck like warm up whatever you need to like we only count the working sets and uh, yep. uh I heard him make that comment once and like I always thought like hey man like like I, I and the analogy I always gave is like I didn't start counting sets until they got heavy and I thought that But that's kind of like an arbitrary. Right. You need uh, a little bit of training history. Yeah. You you need training history. For me, I know what's heavy. Like I can get underweight and be like, okay, that was set one. That was heavy. But for a lot of people that don't know that, like I I had to say, hey, you know what? I need you to give me five working sets here. Your first working set's probably going to be somewhere just around 70% when it starts to get a little challenging. But if 70% is real light, then 80 is your first working set. Whenever it starts to be fucking serious. And and you know the difference. Like, hey, when you get underneath the weight or you start doing something and all of a sudden you, like mentally, have to fucking wire yourself up. You just can't start fucking kind of lollygagging in the warm up. Like that's when this shit becomes serious. But for a lot of people, they don't have that volume of training history to be able to push that. So that yep. idea of working sets. When he said it, I was like, man, that's really fucking smart. Like, hey, I only need you to get one working set. Well, how many warm ups? I don't know how many fucking warm ups you need. You might need ten. You might I need get, two. I get
2: asked that every day. You know, I post a lot about like my training. um, You know, on social media, and consistently, that's like. Which is like I'm assuming you did warm-up sets before this, or how many warm-up sets? I can't, it's like one of those, oh, uh, it's like an elusive question to answer. It's arbitrary. I don't like what, what's the syntax? So was it the first movement you performed? Was it the second movement you performed? Was it a big movement? Like with compound Was it you know a compound movement with multiple joint? Was it is it a single joint movement? Like like there's no one easy way to answer that question. I'm like, after thirty years, I know how to warm up and how I warm up may be a little different from you. And I like a lot of times I won't even answer that question because there's just no easy way to answer it. I just say, if you've been training long enough, you should fucking know how to warm up. Come on, guys. Yeah.
1: No, I, I yeah, the, that always trips me out whenever people ask like, "Hey, what should I do here for my warm up?" I mean, so like some of them will program for some people and other ones, I'm like, "Hey, man, whatever you need to do, fucking uh, go smash your head through a car window, go watch the program, fucking howl at the yeah. moon, spit spit in your training partner's mouth, fucking not nothing, you know, d- do something like to get core temperature up. Like, hey, jump on the fucking assault bike, give me ten minutes on that, like you know, scratch dude, your you ass know, and fucking. So that go. I,
2: like I don't like yeah, that's such a weird. I get that one daily. I'm like, I dude, I don't know how to how long have you lifted weights five years you don't know how to fucking warm
1: up or like hey if i'm gonna squat 500 pounds i'm probably gonna do 135 135, 225 315 315, 65 405 probably 455 485 and then i'm into my fucking deal and by that time i already got five and six sets and then i gotta hit my working i guess
2: the weird i guess the weird thing to me john i think what separates a lot of the people now this is other a a big chasm that exists Is just we came up in a time where you got a magazine, a couple of magazines every month, and you bought some books, and you actually had to go to the gym and figure shit out. Without The only people we could ask were uh, other bros in the gym, right? Yeah. But for the most part, one of the cool things about growing up in the time we did, as far as lifting goes, is that was figuring shit out. That was one of the fun things, was to go and figure shit out. And well, you weren't paralyzed, right? Because you got a training program. You couldn't ask five million questions. You had to go ahead and do that training program if you wanted to do it.
1: Yeah, no, I. I did. That was I, it. Like I, you didn't I, I, ask.
2: Yeah. Like people these days, they're so paralyzed by thinking all these little nuances of the secrets. And I'm like, guys, here's the training program. Like they didn't tell you. Like a lot of times when we were when we were coming up, right? They get the training program. They didn't always even tell you what the fuck. If they said four sets of eight, you didn't know if that was three warm-up sets and one like one all-out set, or if that was four all-out sets. You. You just figured it out.
1: <laughs> well, well, the, the the thing that made probably like the single greatest um, fucking switch for me is when I figured out that there was a rep or sorry, the amount of reps equaled a percentage of weight. Like, right. for example, like, hey, it says do four sets of eight. Am I supposed to do four, th- four sets of eight with like 135, which I can do for 50? Or and I remember like when, you know, we would look at these programs, I'd be like, oh, like I, I didn't equate like the weight with the rep. So like, oh, I, I remember it. going in and being like, Hey, I'm going to do lap pull downs. Like I did like when I figured out that, like, Hey, if I need to do four sets of eight, it's not that I can do four sets of 10 with something. And I did eight reps. I can fucking barely get four sets of eight with this weight. So I have to find yeah. a weight that allows me to just get eight and, reps.
2: Yeah. And, and you, you generally, if that was the case, if you're going to do four sets of eight like that, you were going to be in a descending working yeah. platform. You're going to do 60 and then 40 or
1: whatever. Yeah, yeah. so, like, like if I was doing lat pull-downs, like, I would do, like, I would start getting to the stack, and I would, like, okay, if I got to do four sets of eight, I'd get to where I could barely do 10, and I would, like, move it one more, to like, add 10 more pounds, and then I right. would do eight reps, and I'd be like, well, I did that for barely 10. Whoa. Ten more pounds probably gives me eight reps. I'll stay there for four sets of eight, and, like, that fucking, like, I was probably... Like that wasn't my first or second year. Maybe I was like fifteen. I started lifting when I was fourteen, so maybe I was fifteen or sixteen. Like that yeah. little thing went all of a sudden, and then I went and I remember I checked out a book at the library because you're right. It was like there was like the Flex magazines, and I remember Zangus' stuff. But I got it maybe I got it from Zangus, but it uh, it showed reps as like related to percentages, In, kind of like Perlipin's table. Yeah, and it was like an intensity deal where it was like and but it was all fucked up. It was like ninety percent was ten. And like, like I, as I don't,
2: I, I don't know anybody that can do ten reps with ninety
1: percent. Well, pressure. exactly, okay. it, exactly. I like, I like I remember looking at it and thinking, like, fuck, man, like ninety percent. So like, if I squat like three hundred pounds, and I'm like, so I got to do two seventy for fucking ten, but I only did. I'm like, how does this make sense? And I just remember uh, trying to follow that and never hitting the fucking reps that I needed. And it was an awful time to lift. I'm like, fuck, I was supposed to get this for X amount. I can't handle the weight. I could get it for two or three. And then it wasn't until like I got a little bit older and started realizing that that fucking idiot didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) <laughs> but then that's when I got into rep maxes, where I was like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about uh, these reps as much as I'm just going to be able to like, hey, whatever weights on the bar, I'm going to
2: squat for max yeah, reps. Yeah, I felt like that was a huge part of what Jim brought back with five three one for a while. Why it was just like, you motherfuckers, just go hit some rep maxes and shut up. Like, that was a-
1: Well, he did, but like the thing which kind of killed me about the five three one was, um, and what, and I, I told Jim, I'm like, the problem is, is that all these fucking assholes are sandbagging on the front side. They're like, oh, I did my final set for max reps, and they're. Getting like 20 fucking reps. And I'm like, if you're getting 20 on your fucking final set, I'm like, uh, and and yeah. I remember talking to Jim about this and he's like, well, eventually like a linear progression, they will get heavy enough. And I'm like, uh, but will they? And, uh, dude,
2: I to- yeah, I don't like, yeah, but eventually, eventually, okay. In theory, but I think that comes back to the mental and emotional side of training. To where you're just kind of being a pussy. So if you're going in and you're choosing loading or in your final set, you still knock out 20 reps. Okay, first off, number one, you probably didn't go to true failure. And that also tells me you stand back so fucking hard. Basically, you had a You went in and trained to get tired. Yeah. Okay. You went in and trained to get tired because you sure as hell didn't do any effective reps for stimulating growth or the need for adaptation. So you're basically training to get tired.
1: No, I, I, dude, I, I, uh, like when I looked at the 531 stuff and I, and we, I, I did the program, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but, what I had to do was, um, you know, like the max rep sets, you almost, you know, remember it was like, Hey, I want you to take 90% cut it off. And he was trying to get people these training maxes. I found that like for me to drive adaptation, I had to fucking be a hundred percent in there. Like, Hey man, if I got to do, you know, singles or doubles or triples or whatever it looks like. And I kind of play, you know, and I'm sure there's 8 billion adaptations of five through one, but like being able to, to, to kind of cycle through it and say, Hey, you know what, like this is going to be a volume week. This is going to be an intensity week and kind of going through it. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, Jim, Jim did as much, uh, as much good as I think he fucking people fucked it up. It it was, I read the book. It was simple. So I want to turn this around,
2: John. I want to ask you, since you have insight on the other side of stuff too. Um, I'm friends with some, with some guys who are in the league that are, that are strength conditioning coaches and, and they come to me for a lot of stuff and ask me like, where do you feel like some improvements in the strength and conditioning aspect at that level Need, need the most improvements
1: where do I think um, yeah. one I think first of all uh, people fucking forgot about like muscle contractions like they didn't realize he developed stability with isometric contractions And what I have not seen anybody do is, one, I haven't seen anybody develop stability with isometric contractions in the NFL. And, um, you know, uh, the other thing that people don't utilize is compensatory acceleration, which was the single greatest component that allowed me to play for 10 years in the NFL. Uh, Most strength coaches and most guys.
2: What I I eventually based all of my strength training paradigm off of was compensatory acceleration training.
1: Yeah. No, it's uh, 14 years old. I'm in George Angus's garage and he tells me about his good friend, Dr. Fred Hatfield and there's uh-huh. this thing called compensatory acceleration and George told me, as mechanical advantage increases, so does bar speed. You need right. to fucking bench 135 like it's 500 and bench 500 with the same intensity. The only thing right. that matters is that the bar keeps accelerating. So when, right. I would, when I would go punch people, I would fucking literally like punch through them and hit them. And be like, man, how are you hitting so hard? And I'm like, because as mechanical advantage increases so does speed. So one one, um, the the strength coaches don't teach mechan- um, compensatory acceleration, and they don't understand that you have to develop stability under load with isometric contractions, which I haven't seen guys do. Um, and then the other one is, is they got away from all the med ball stuff. So there's a ton of fucking uh, Charlie Francis GPP med ball work. We do a ton of it that allowed me to fucking be able to do my job. And I just think that those three components uh, are really lacking in, uh, in, in a lot of programs.
2: Yeah, that's really funny to me that you don't see more of the compensatory acceleration stuff used because in my opinion, it's the, it's the greatest way for, to continue strength development without beating yourself to shit because you can continuously use submax poundages to create you know, very efficient motor patterns within a movement and you're, you're constantly activating all those high-threshold motor units. Yeah. Um, you, you're not going to grow from it, but the point is for a lot of those guys, if you're, but if you're trying to develop maximal strength, then the speed is, ends up being your best friend, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that ends up being your best friend at speed.
1: Well, it, it's, it's the velocity of the bar. I mean, the, uh, the ability to go from point A to point B as fast and as violently as possible. And, that's, what um, I
2: use, that's, the word, that's almost exactly how I used the phrase that you need to be as violent as possible in your movement when you're dealing with a loaded bar, well, especially during the strength training years. And, you know, cat training applied in a, an athletic setting, in my opinion, almost can't be beat.
1: No, it's um, so the other joke that I, I tell him that old man Zing has told me is don't lift weights like old people have sex, slow and careful. Yeah. Right. And he, yeah. said, you know, we always said, man, you got to attack the weights. You have to be violent. And I remember going in and lifting weights at people and then being like, holy shit, dude, you're going to hurt yourself. I'm like, why? They're like, I haven't seen anybody try to fall. I'm like, I'm trying to break these fucking weights. Every time right. I move the bar, I'm trying to move them and break these motherfuckers. I'm trying to shatter a glass ceiling. I'm trying to fucking smash it through. And, uh, that was uh, why I think, uh, I was able to one is, um, you know, be able to do the job as long as I did, but be able to hit and hurt people and be as violent as I was, was because, uh, every time I touched a barbell, I was trying to move it as fast as I could.
2: I don't know, man. I came away with this thinking that you brother in law so many guys that you played against. That's how you extended your career. (laughs)
1: Uh, I'll take that. There was, uh, I can only think of a few times I actually brother-in-lawed and it was uh, a very few. Sam Adams was one of them, but man. who uh, who
2: Who was the strongest guy you ever played against that you really had to like, not necessarily like the meanest or like the guy that just. Like not even the biggest. So who's, was like some of the strongest guys you've ever played against? All that stuff's super fucking interesting to me too.
1: So me um, pro- probably the baddest dude I ever played against uh, was early in my career. I played against this guy named um, Keith Hamilton, and he played defensive lineman for the New York Giants. And uh, um, we used to call him the Hammer. But you'll uh, never he'll never make the Hall of Fame. Nobody'll ever fucking talk about him as the best. You know, one of the best to ever do it. But when it came down to straight up like uh, strength power and violence um that dude was second to none and uh i was a a second year guy played against him and uh he had this move called the forklift so i would punch and he would grab you by the wrists lift your hands above your head and then throw you back into the quarterback, and we called it the <laughs> forklift, so i I got in and I fucking played against uh, Hamilton, and I fucking punched the shit out of him and he, and I, I had strong hands still do big punch, fucking snatched him, locked him down, and he grabbed my fucking left hand, and he lifted it off, and I still had my right hand, and I ended up replacing it and putting it back in place, and we ended up getting done and uh, he was it was a fucking heavyweight fist fight, and um, I remember I was so fucking mad. About the interaction and how the game went and just like being like this is going to be uh the my focus to fucking greatness and i tore his picture out of the program and i put it in my wallet i taped it in my wallet every time i opened my wallet i'd see his face and the next year when i went back and played and and i remember we like worked all this stuff i was like you know what he's not going to forklift me and this is the fucking deal and i remember we came out we play him twice a year And uh, I came out fucking big, and I remember after the game, he had tattoos of all these fucking faces all over him, and they were all of his kids. He tattooed all their faces so he would remember and to get fucking pissed off for all the child support that he had to pay. Wow. And uh, he was a violent dude, and it was interesting. When I saw Strahan, um, I remember Strahan always said, he's like, you know, uh, uh, Hammer was a bad dude, and you were one of the only people that he respected. So I took that like, I'll I'll, I'll take that instead of Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've I've had, uh, there's been uh, so many people that I've gotten to know over the years. And when I ask them that question, it's the same every time. It's almost always some guy that you would never expect it to be who's often their toughest opponent. Um, uh, Will Shields, I trained over at uh, 68 Sports here for a lot of years. You know, I played next to Will yeah yeah I know you played next to Will and Will was a fucking right like he was he was the man for a long time and it's the best Will would always talk about certain guys and I can't remember but it wouldn't be guys you would expect yeah Yeah, Uh, that's the interesting thing about that is like so many so many of the guys get the accolades because of statistics that come out but if you actually talk to the players they'll end up naming a lot of guys that you just don't think about being really great players
1: yeah no Will uh, um, I was fortunate to play next to Will and then when he retired I played uh, right guard Um, after him and, uh, yeah, man, uh, not only one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life, but, uh, probably probably one of the most gifted athletes and just such a technician. Like I remember him doing things on film and watching him do stuff and telling young guys, don't fucking do that. If you do that, you'll get cut. There's one dude in the world who can do that. And it's Will Shields. (laughs) oh he yeah now, he you know, this funny, i was gonna
2: ask you who you thought was the the best offensive line in the last 20 years but i i really think it was, it was you guys yeah when it we, was, you we you were, and really both and uh and uh casey wigman and, casey and brian waters casey wigman. yeah and, brian
1: waters uh, brian waters
2: yeah brian waters yeah when you guys brian was a bad motherfucker too
1: oh yeah probably yeah. uh probably one of the strongest dudes i've ever seen in my life i mean that's I'm,
2: what i was gonna say it's like brian was considered an incredibly strong fucking guy
1: Dude, he was uh, he was the type of strength that made other strong men fucking like other strong dudes be like, can't do that. Yeah. So uh, but it was it was cool when we were at the Hall of Fame uh, deal. I saw Willie and I I didn't get the chance to run into Rove or uh, into Will. But it was interesting hanging out with a bunch of the other guys. Like how many guys were like, man, that was uh, that was the best. We think that's the best line to ever play in pro football was that line with priest Holmes and Tony Gonzalez and Jason Dunn and the chiefs. They were like, um, a month. Oh, I, I forgot about Jason Dunn.
2: Cause he was like having a six offensive lineman.
1: Oh yeah. No fucking J J D to this day. is one of the, uh, he's, he's also one of my other favorite people in the world. I fucking saw him at the hall of fame and it was, uh, it was funny. I was sitting there in the seat and I saw him come walking up and I watched him and I saw him look over and he looked at me and he just let out this huge, like fucking laugh. And, uh, dude, I, I Man, I love JD and uh, dude, like it was great. I saw his girl. He gave me a huge hug and like it was um, it was like two old friends that hadn't seen each other in 10 years, but it had just been 10 minutes. Like, like right. within seconds, it was like, he was like, dude, it, it warms my face to be here or to see you here. And I was like, dude, I feel the same, man. It was, uh, it was great to be around his light. I, I, dude, I love that guy. And, um, I was very fortunate to play with guys like that. Like I was stoked to see Willie and I mean, Tony and all those guys recently, but it was cool to see a bunch of other offensive linemen and guys I'd watched on film and played with and have them be like, man, you guys. Yeah, you guys, that was, you guys you know, fucking beat like, them that was, back. That was,
2: that was some special years to watch football. Like just, just you, when you guys, all you guys were together because, if you'll remember at the time, uh, Rove was coming off of, he was coming off a bad injury, which is why he got really either released or traded from the Saints. I can't remember. But he had that bad injury. A lot of people yeah. – it was a foot injury, remember?
1: Uh, it was some other stuff, but yeah. yeah. Well,
2: yeah, there were other yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, there was yeah. other stuff. I remember they were off the field shit. So, But anyway, a lot of people didn't think that, uh, that his injury, he'd be back to his best. Uh, Waters was pretty young and kind of up and coming at the time, so he was a little unknown. Will had been a, kind of a staple here for a long yeah. time. Um, Casey came over from the Bears, I believe. Yep. Um, and yeah, and then you came over and solidified it. And it just kind of all came together. Uh, and then I remember, Priest had come out of Baltimore, where and Dick Vermeil wanted him really bad at that time, and nobody really kind of saw what Dick yeah. saw in Dick Vermeil at that time. So it was a that was a lot of fun years for watching you guys. Like dominate the way that
1: you did and i know that had to be a lot of fun going out knowing you were gonna smash motherfuckers the way you guys were smashing it was good. people it, it was good uh I, I wish our defense um had uh you know not and, and, suck it, dick
2: uh
1: yeah i mean we had some good defense like like i can't say it uh there were some guys but man if like they could have just put us in a little bit better i mean because our kicking game was always good like the defense just Man, it just uh, oh, that was a guy. That's I good. don't
2: remember this for sure, but uh, that was you were talking talk about uh, a physical specimen. And I can't remember if he was here when you were here or not. But remember, Mar- Marcus Patton.
1: God, uh, I do know that name, but I can't think of it for the life of me. He was a
2: middle linebacker. Okay, he he was he, dude. He I don't. He had to be in sing, low single digits. And it was probably like two forty two, two forty five. And I want to say clearly if like he, he was a middle linebacker, he played with the Redskins um back when uh what's his name Harvey was there
1: mm, okay yeah
2: and then came over when he was a middle linebacker for the Chiefs but I, he may have left before he got here he was here when Donnie Edwards was here
1: yeah yeah no I, I played with Donnie um you know at the Chiefs or I, I think he uh yeah so Donnie went to San Diego and then he was there um but yeah man it was uh it was a uh, an incredible opportunity and like it was uh like no like nothing else will do in my life man the fact that he like uh, the only the only analogy that Turley and I always joke about is like remember in like a full metal jacket when he's like we're like jolly green giants fucking wandering the earth with guns you know like yeah that's kind of no, what that's, it was that's,
2: that's kind of what, what I was getting at it had to be a pretty good feeling knowing out going up, I mean you guys probably intimidated a lot of defensive lines in
1: that day shit we had seven rushing touchdowns in one half against the Houston Texans <laughs> they, we set the uh the Texans they, catch- it, it was an NFL record and I remember we had seven rushing touchdowns in the first half and they pretty much were like, have they ever called a mercy rule in NFL football? And they were like, no, these guys. And like it was it like it was something that we had never done. I remember the NFL came in and like, you know, Canton and those people are really interesting when you do stuff like that. Like all of a sudden people come in and just start like taking shit. Like they took the balls and the helmets and this and you're like, where's all my stuff? And they're like, oh, the people from the Hall of Fame just come in and take stuff because they, they know when things like that are going down. So it was, yeah. uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it's like
2: you said, that's, that's, that's a really cool thing. It's cool cool that you and I have connected over these years about that because I watched watched you guys so entirely over those years. It was such a really cool thing to watch as a student of the game that it was for that long to be able to watch such a dominant group because, like, you grow up and I didn't really get to see, like, the Purple People Eaters play and you know, things like that, and I didn't really get to see uh, the Steel Curtain play and appreciate them, like, in their prime, you know what I mean? So it's like there's certain groups, kind of like watching – uh, like the 2000 Ravens defense for that particular year, oh, yeah. and like part of that, you know, you watch. Like, I I don't know that when people talk about that, I remember watching the '85 Bears, and I'll still say to this day, the fucking 2000 Ravens would eat the '85 Bears alive. I mean, in my opinion, watching top to bottom, though yeah. like it, it, they were at a different level.
1: Yeah, no, they they yeah, they had some that year. I remember we played them in the preseason, and even the preseason, we knew they were going to be hot. Like those guys, like that 2000 deal. And they, uh, Ed Muitalo was a buddy of mine. He played off, he was one of my training partners. He played offensive line for them. And, yeah, know, uh, certain teams, man, like they just, they just catch fire. And like, it, you know, at that point, everybody just kind of comes together and they get a lot of ton of momentum and it's pretty exciting to watch and be a part so of you,
3: it. Do
2: you still, do you still keep up with, uh, with, with the league very much these days? We haven't talked about that.
1: Uh, like I, I watched, uh, I watched the game last night mainly cause I just fucking hate the Redskins. Um, but, uh, I, I also, <laughs> that's that
2: us with you from your ears, from your years
1: with the Eagles. Yeah, right? I fucking, I despise the Redskins. I just like, yeah, there's something about like the Redskins where I just like, literally like wish for their demise. But, so are uh, the Redskins more than the Giants. Yeah. Like I was never like disliked the Giants, Uh, The Redskins, to me, were always like... Is that like a top-down thing? uh, Yeah, like uh, just Dan Snyder and their whole fucking attitude and just like the fact that like every year they just, they sucked. And like they, no matter how much money, no matter what free agent they went there, it was just such a toxic culture. (laughs) Right. Like, I, I, you know, and, and I think every NFL player like secretly hopes they play for the Giants. You know whether or not they do or not, just because fuck to be able to go and live in New York and be in you know play on the biggest team and this and you know having played against the Giants, like I always I always appreciate the guys. Their that new kid there. looks pretty darn good. Uh, I'll tell you this: that Patrick Mahone, uh, that kid, unbelievable. Um, the Bears quarterback. um
3: not mr bisky it's fucking what are you talking about uh, you know we break late john you <laughs> yeah. know this well the problem is is cutler is a confidence booster last night it's a confidence <laughs> yeah. booster uh so, so don't you talk shit on cutler, like, uh, cutler. Uh,
1: like i i despise jay cutler just for the mere fact that like he just uh just looked like he was carved out of fucking crispy creams and he was the is worst
3: he, is he is he still with the bear's only in spirit.
1: Looks <laughs> <laughs> from Chicago, so I, he's a Bears hard, fan. It's hard
2: for me to believe that guy's still in the fucking league. I don't no, know. He's not. He, he like, retired. He he, played, and he, he should have
1: given year. back all of his money because he stole everywhere he went. Well, now he's a reality TV star.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, he's crushing it. He's great. He's great he? dude. He's a good dude. I think he's a good dude. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he's a good dude, but like... Not a good quarterback. No, he's a terrible <laughs> quarterback. I, yeah. I pulled up...
4: Um, Brian Water's story. This yeah, is this is pretty epic. So he was uh, a tight end for North Texas, and he got yeah. thrown off the team. Thrown off the team, and then he got signed as a t- tight end, undrafted by the Cowboys. Cut, yeah. and then the Chiefs signed him and sent him to Berlin. Yeah, and where he, he converted was, him to center.
1: Yeah, and, so, and, and he with went Ron in, Ron McKeefery as the head yeah. coach, and he did. he went in and like crushed it, and then came back and like ended up playing like twelve years, uh, F- fourteen, but two. Yeah. All pros and five pro bowls. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah, he's a good player. i, Hard I think, to
2: believe that Ryan was only it was only all pro twice. That dude was a he was a fucking he was well, a bad dude.
1: The problem is is when you play on an offensive line with Willie Rofe and Will Shields, when Will didn't miss a fucking game for fourteen years and right. had like two hundred and forty seven or two hundred and seventy four career starts. I mean, you play on the you know, with these guys, it's fucking phenomenal. Uh, so yeah,
3: everyone's burning bright?
1: Yeah. So
2: did Brian, I don't even remember. Did Brian end up? Did he go somewhere else? Or did he retire? Yeah,
4: the you know, he went to the Patriots. Uh,
1: Patriots, and he played in the Super Bowl. And then, they, and then he still had a contract. He just never showed up again. He was done. Yeah, yeah. He it's, just it's basically true. was like, yeah, fuck you. I'm done. Stop showing up. He's like, I'm going to play with last year. i got to be close to home. They cut him.
4: He signed with the Cowboys, but there's no stats on that last year. So I think he... Well, you she know what happened?
1: Uh, they brought him in uh, to bolster the line. And uh, I guess the first game, uh, he lined up against uh, Nam Su. And uh, I guess Nam Su fucking um, hit him and he ruptured his, his tricep. And that was the end of it. He, he just showed up, didn't do training camp, just thought he was going to come in. And I guess uh, Nam Su hit him with a big shot and fucking tore his tricep. As the way I remember it going. I would have to, my, my memory could be wrong, but I remember that's how it went. so... Steel trap? No. Yeah. So.
2: When you were, when you were with the Chiefs, um, who, what was, was it, was there really, was there really a big fired up thing to play the Raiders?
1: Oh yeah. The Raiders are the worst. I fucking hate the Raiders. And yeah, I grew up I, a Raiders I, fan. I, 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 I grew I up in LA as a Don, Raiders fan. i Gruden. I hate fucking Yeah. Don no, I, I, I root against two teams. One's the Raiders and the other one's fucking Redskins. Like those teams, <laughs> like I, like, um, yeah, like the, the Raiders are the worst like uh, and like the, the, the problem and I think what killed me on the Raiders is the Raiders still uh, like strut and act conceited based off of like the games that Howie Long won and Al right. Alzado and fucking Bo Jackson there was somehow like like uh, like like their like their attitude I'm like you realize that most of those guys are either dead or like in like the retirement home you guys are being acting conceited and acting like you guys got did something for teams that like John Madden like it just it, it always blew my mind i'd be like
3: where is it like you guys are dog shit it's like bears fans
1: right yeah like the fact that, <laughs> the fact that they bring out fucking jim mcmahon all the time i'm like jesus christ it's Still, been 30
3: years super bowl what, shuffle it was it was uh
2: yeah that's that that's the uh that's like being here the worst for the years for the for the chiefs being here was um i think it was before you got here before dick vermeer got here when it was um
1: marty schottenheimer
2: no, no, no. I'll always loved Marty because Marty, absolutely, he would he would do, okay, if if Marty Schottenheimer was a movie, he was that Nazi guy in American History X and the Raiders were Ed Norton in the shower. That's <laughs> the only way I can explain it. Marty just, what was his record against the Raiders?
1: It was fucking nuts. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't think he ever lost. <laughs> well, uh, there was a weird deal, man. When we went and played the Raiders, like, as a Kansas City Chief, there was like a whole deal and it's been like, you guys know it's fucking Raiders week and all of a sudden people fucking ratchet it down because, you know, it's like you're going to go in there and have to fucking beat on these guys. And the worst was going and playing in the uh, in, in the Coliseum and like the black hole and like just like it'd be like a four year old <laughs> next to his like ninety eight is, is there a like, meme of like ninety eight, like Abuela, like the grandmother up there giving the finger too. And I'd be like, hey, man, I just got a multi generational finger from the, the grandkid, the mom, the dad and the grandmother. Oh, four fingers. Everybody look. <laughs> and like just these fucking Raiders fans, it's like the fucking Raiders. I'm like, oh Jesus.
2: Yeah, and that's. I, I think it's more more about like the fans a lot of times, right? Because that's what's like you said. The fans are like the they're still living like the weird bad boys from the 1970s.
3: Well, yeah, and
1: yeah, and and the 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 Al Davis and that, and then the uh, dysfunction of the facility. Like it's just and like we'd always say the same thing. If we get up early, you know they're gonna quit. And so we just come in and pound them that early, was, and they that would was, quit. Okay,
2: so that was the funny thing. Marty was caught on camera so many times. It's like, you guys know if you just stay after it, you'll make them quit. Yeah. Like, I, like, I can't remember how many times I watched Marty talking about that. And sure enough, that would
1: happen, right? Yeah, no, they have throw in the towel. They uh, zero heart. Yeah, I watched their yeah, week and two I, game. I
2: it was, was going to say the worst years were the fucking, the John Gruden, Rich Gannon years, because they were... Gannon oh. would throw those fucking two yard passes seventy four times a game. Yeah, drove me nuts because like I like Gannon, like Rich comes across as like pretty good guy, but like as a player, I fucking hated watching that because it, it was like he would just uh and dunk you to death and like just when they were like nothing was nothing is worse than Raider fans when the Raider fan, when the Raiders have a fucking winning record. Oh, it,
1: they're the it's, worst.
2: It's, it's, it's insufferable.
1: Yeah, no, the the Raiders are the worst. Like, yeah, the Raiders are like the the West Coast Redskins, and the Redskins are like <laughs> the East Coast Raiders. They're like, yeah, they they're like the same people. Like, I remember when we went to when I went to Kansas City, I was like, oh, the Raiders are like the Redskins, same people. Yeah. Awesome.
4: They, they just played the last game ever in the Coliseum where it's half baseball.
1: So they, they play over the dirt, and that'll be the last I didn't ever football know, game.
2: I'm so detached. I didn't even know they were moving to Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's shit. a great idea. So that, that'll that be the end of the franchise. They're just going to fucking implode. What plow. could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, let's take a whole bunch of NFL players, young dudes who obviously making poor decisions, and let's put them in the middle of Vegas. Well, we're just taking the flight out of it, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of yeah. going there every weekend. Yeah. Just, so they're just there every weekend. Oh, Jesus. <sighs> just the word vegas makes me throw up in my mouth like,
2: Dude, this is when i got back this time i used to go to vegas and have a pretty good time i could not wait to get home from this trip it, it's just it was my first time getting an airbnb and it sucked and uber there is all fucked up now so it's like you have these designated spots you have to go to to get picked up by uber
1: just go old school. Before, just stay at a
2: hotel. I get there yeah, you yeah. just like you just call Uber and they can pick you up. You had to be in designated spots. So if I wasn't in the designated spot, going to and from somewhere became a major pain in the ass. There's more. There was more people there this time I went than I've ever gone before. Like, and I hate crowds and traffic. Like something fierce. So that sucked. Just every part of the experience outside of uh, watching Brandon win Mr. Olympia. You know, Brandon's my buddy, and then yeah. spending time, training with Meadows, seeing my friends, all that stuff's good. But Vegas itself sucked ass. It's just sucked ass.
1: Yeah. No, the only good thing about Vegas is restaurants. Yes. Every time you go to Red, like, like the Vegas restaurants, it's oh, unbelievable. We went to the
2: Wynn for breakfast. Have you, have you done the Wynn breakfast?
1: Uh, no, but anywhere that you go in Vegas, especially when it's a, like Wynn, Bellagio, any of those spots, it's fucking unbelievable in the spreads. You're like, holy we
2: went, shit. We went to the Wynn for breakfast. It ended up being a $200 breakfast. Well, it was, it was, well I'll tell you why, because it was like it was the Uber over there. And I get over there and I had on just a tank top because we were going to breakfast. And so you got to have a sleeve. So I was like, well, fuck. So I had to go buy a sleeve shirt. So I just went to the gift shop and everything in there is $1,000. So I got a t-shirt, put that on, went back and then breakfast was like $100 for a buffet. Normally I would tell you like $150 breakfast. It would have to be pretty exceptional. I I didn't complain. I did not complain for the $150 uh, uh, all you can eat. Um, buffet breakfast at the wind. So if you guys yeah. go there it reached one day,
1: I've never had a bad meal. I lunch. I, I've never had like uh, any of the places we've ever been. I mean, I've never been to like the dollar 99 buffets, but like any of the places where like we've been in Vegas, like the food, like whether it be like, we used to go to the Palm steakhouse all the time. And um, dude, like there's the steakhouse at Aria. I mean, just we used to go hit all these steakhouses and like, Every time you eat it, you're like, that might be the best steak I've ever had. I swear, I've never had vegetables. I've never had Brussels sprouts that probably have 3,000 calories in them, but goddamn, those things probably have 3,000 <laughs> calories. Like, like yeah, I, 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 know, I know your joke where you were like, hey, man, nobody got kicked out of fat camp for eating vegetables, so, like, don't count right. vegetables. You got to count those vegetables in the macros because, it yeah, those are delicious. well,
2: it's just because they, they, they marinate them in olive oil
1: and oh, butter. And, and, and bacon. I mean, we went to um, – I can't remember the steakhouse – um, fuck, it might have been at the Bellagio. I remember they did a combination of of bone marrow. So they bring out the bones with faux gras on the bone marrow. Yeah, which I don't know if you've ever had anything, but bone marrow and faux, faux gras might be the single is greatest the combination. Prime, John? Yeah, prime. Yeah, prime steakhouse, dude. Yeah, I love faux gras and I love um bone marrow. Putting them together is like. I'm actually, mouth fits, is watering right now. If
3: it fits my macros. Yeah. Uh,
1: how does that work out? You're like, I just had 900 grams of fat in this one fucking bite. Perfect.
3: <laughs> <You know? laughs> Am I going to get shredded off of this? I mean, eventually uh. you just got to shock the system where you're like, fine, <laughs> eat whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, go for it. Well, I, th-
1: I think you just fucking throw caution in the wind, and be like, ah, hey, what happens in Vegas, the calories don't matter. I'm just going to fucking crush it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's eventually
3: you'll eat so much, you're going to burn more calories than you ingested, right? Like, is that, is that a real thing? I would,
2: if, there, if there was a universe we could live in like that, I would have figured it out by
3: now. <laughs> Man, would so it just be able
1: 600 to, peanut butter and jellies. Yeah, like, wouldn't it be great just to eat, like, nothing but pancakes all day? Mm-hmm.
2: You can eat enough calories that you somehow, like, you've eaten so many that you, like, cross a threshold and go into fat-burning mode. Yeah. And that, as you continue eating, your body burns more fat, right? Like, you're, you're, you're hyperchloric, so you're, you're in a col- yeah. calorie surplus, 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 surplus. 27,000 calories fat burning mode.
3: Dude. Yeah, it's that's like, what I'm like, talking about. Well, like
1: didn't didn't they just put out a piece of research that talked about like you cannot overeat protein, which is really based off of John Anderson, you know, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, deep you got, water.
2: There's actually been a multitude of um, protein overfeeding studies that have shown it's it's damn near impossible for the body to store protein as fat.
1: So if like, and this was kind of my, my piece was that like, you know, people are like, oh, I need a cheat meal or I, I uncontrollably. I'm like... Why don't you just cheat meal and fucking binge on a steak or chicken or something? Well, Choose
2: because, some form of well, protein. yeah, because, well, that's not fun, number one, John. I, don't Exa- don't I know. <laughs> and second, is, I binge the whole chicken. You have, yeah. You you that can, if you like sushi, so you can get sashimi and you can get a fuck ton of like maguro and sake and that kind of stuff and just load up and for the most part, there's, you're not going to have a lot of fat coming in and none, none of that that you eat is going to get turned or stored in adipose tissue.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you can do. I do that. I have days where, basically, it's kind of a funny thing to look at. Is if you do a protein sparing modified fast, yeah. where you limit the amount of fat and carbs that you have coming into as close to nothing as possible, you can eat 350, 400 grams of protein in a day, and none of it, get, none of those calories, so it gets stored as fat. Really.
1: Mm-hmm. This is not sustainable for years. It's a lot of... That's a big sushi bill. Well, unless you're John Meadow, or I'm uh, sorry, not John Meadows, uh, John Anderson, uh-huh. who would uh, eat 800, 800 grams of protein, protein a, a day. Carbohydrate in,
3: like fucking 15 years. Nope, hasn't had a carb in 15 years. Yeah, I eat peanut butter. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so we, we had him on the podcast. He's like, yeah, I've had a carb in 20 years. And we went through this whole thing. And then it was like, well, take us through it. And he's like, like, well, peanut butter sandwiches, yeah, uh, chicken breast. <laughs> right? And I was like, you know, there's carbs in uh, peanut butter. And he's like, no. Yeah, just cut that out. Don't worry about it. I'm like, well, just because you wanted, I mean, like, uh, and then as he was going through, I'm like, you know, there's carbs in these food. Nope, nope, nope. It's either all fat, all this, and like, he just. He's
3: absolutely right. <laughs> He's what? like, yeah, I'm up to eight, eight,
1: 800 grams of carbohydrate or uh, 800 grams of protein, I think is what he told us. Man. I'm like, God, his gas must be unbelievable.
2: What did he, uh, what did he list that, didn't, that has carbs in it that he says didn't?
1: Uh, peanut butter. Well,
2: yeah, there's lots of carbs in peanut butter.
1: Yeah, no, he was like, there was no carbs in peanut butter. And I'm like, well, I don't know if he said that. Like, it was kind of like, uh, like he was telling me, he's like, well, yeah, you, you want like some good fats, you want protein and then I went through and I was like, he's like, Hey, you know, you need some good fats. Let's go peanut butter. I'm like, well, there's carbs in peanut butter. And at that point he like kind of short circuited and I was like, Deep I was, water, brother. yeah, I'll just leave it alone. It was awesome. He's
2: yeah, like, yeah. He definitely doesn't have synthol in his
1: traps. <laughs> what do <I> you mean? <laughs> I think oh, What's wrong with his traps? They look like traps on top of traps. standard traps.
2: Do uh, you think that's that's just a, that's just a, that's how his traps are shit
1: well, <laughs> well when you get 800 grams of protein a day the traps end up exactly. looking like that
2: maybe that's what happens to your traps when you don't eat carbs i don't fucking know
1: so uh yeah. is synthol that uh that rampant that's that you oil know, they inject in
2: yeah yeah yeah. it actually is it's it's the the, the thing now that you don't realize is uh, the guys have gotten really good at using it so they know how to use it in small amounts to accentuate certain musculature. Um, so that actually looks pretty good. So a lot of the guys that you don't like, you don't pay attention to the fucking Brazilian guys out there. that got like biceps like this big. Like, not that shit. But uh, most of the guys, not all, and I don't even know if most, but they're a lot. Let's just say a lot. We'll just throw out an arbitrary term. But synthol use is pretty prevalent um, amongst bodybuilders. and But the guys that are really good at it that win they have it done really well. So you don't know that you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a beauty pageant. it's a cos- cosmetic show. And John also think that's a a, that's a big difference between the time when we grew up too. Is we really weren't dealing with that then. Guys blasted some tests and some and some Anadrol and trained really fucking hard and ate bro foods. And you're like, yeah, I can identify with this lifestyle. And now there's so much that I, I like that to me, like that—that that was what bodybuilding was. But because all of that was applicable to, like we talked about, like just strength training and athlete, uh, you know, athletic training and all that kind of stuff. It was all kind of a meshed in there together. That mentality well, of it. But yeah. you
1: also got to see like uh, Dorian Yates doing like fucking RDLs with like 600 pounds for like 20, you know, fucking 12 and 14 reps, or you get to see Ronnie Coleman squatting fucking 800 for reps. So right. like, like as you were seeing these dudes, they were really fucking strong handling incredible poundages and they look like cartoon characters. Now you see it today. And like, uh, like I don't really see those same dudes handling those type of poundages. Like they just don't seem, you know, and, and I don't know if that's a, a function of the drugs or the training, or whatever, but like, you don't see a dude like Dorian Yates and like, um, like Ronnie Coleman anymore. Maybe you do. And I just don't know it, but like, I mean that the poundages and the poundages yeah, those guys so there's, handled.
2: There's definitely, there's definitely still a lot of uh, very strong guys. Um, I, most people don't know who a lot of them are like Ken Jackson. I know like he inclined press 455 for like 15 reps.
1: Wow. That's Which is so. fucking
2: crazy. Um, and there's, there, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of really strong guys still in the bodybuilder. I just think, you know, and I was, t- when I, was, I had that conversation with Tony Friedman, it was guys were more iconic in the nineties because you couldn't DM them, you couldn't like their stuff and comment they were in magazines and that made them feel more iconic, more untouchable. Right. Yeah. And now you can go follow a guy. He might even engage in a conversation with you. And then if you can feel like maybe if you're one of those troll assholes and you felt like you could take him down a few notches, it, you know, it kind of removes that stigma of them being <clears throat> on this pedestal. But I mean, also when you see stuff like, you know, I think it was a couple of years ago, I think maybe when Phil wanted one of his last Olympias he got on like Instagram live afterwards and literally like talk shit to the fans. And I remember thinking, that's not very cool. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. That kind of stuff, I don't know. Like the guys that, you know, like that we looked at bodybuilding or we looked at street even in strength training. I mean, you got to remember like powerlifting was on ESPN in the 80s.
1: Um, and, and, and and the crazy part was, um, back in the day, like I remember, uh, Mark Ripto talking about this, they used to have like the bodybuilding show on like Saturday and the powerlifting meet was on Sunday. So they had to compete in both. uh, So like all the dudes were all pretty strong, but they were also like in fucking shape. So they had to handle tonnages in this. And then it became this kind of beauty pageant deal where, um, you know, I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely uh yeah I mean like the amount of yeah I remember uh, chemistry when, and diet uh, and all that's pretty amazing. When Cohen and I were uh, when we were when we, we toured over in Australia for a month
2: together a couple of years ago, we we ended up becoming really good friends. And remember, Eddie told me that that's how he got involved in powerlifting was he actually was doing a bodybuilding show, and they were doing setting up the powerlifting stuff. And I think he was one sixty five at the time. And he's he he said, well, he just entered the powerlifting meet. I believe that's the story. Like he just entered the powerlifting meet, like on a whim. But he was he was there for the bodybuilding. But he uh he squatted, I think he was 165 and he squatted oh I think he squatted and pulled 500 and then bench like 385 as he was getting ready for a bodybuilding show at 165. Like he never did a but he was so short they had to uh, they had to pull the, I think it was the the bar off and put it on his shoulders for him squatting. Because the racks didn't go low enough for how short he was. How tall was he? At that time, Eddie was probably three or four inches tall.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's not real tall, but I'll tell you this. Uh, what he lacks in height, he makes up in fucking neck numbers. Have you ever seen Ed Cohn's neck from his prime? There's that picture with him, I think, in Hatfield uh, that we got yeah, on the wall where yeah, his fucking Eddie, neck yeah, is Eddie like. he
2: always had that Yeah, massive neck. Have you, have you ever met him in person?
1: Uh, I, have I have not. I've never met him. He's got the weirdest
2: leverages of any human being you will ever see. He's, 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 if you sit down next to him, how tall are you, John? Six, four?
1: Uh, six, uh, just under six, six.
2: Okay. You're under six, six. So if you sit down next to him in a chair, he might look almost as tall as you. Because like his torso is really, it's like the height of the guy that's like, I don't know, like seven foot tall or some shit, but he's only, he's only like three feet tall. So I don't know how he pulls off those weird. Fit like dimensions but it's like he's got arms that go down to like below like past his feet like (laughs) below the floor so if like you dug a hole on each side of the floor
1: yeah he'd be like a he's like a uh fucking orangutan
2: yeah he's like but he's super thick right like through the chest so like so he had like every perfect leverage advantage for power if you can imagine (laughs) so it's like his femurs are this long the femur's like in his legs, so are this long, so he squats down. He has to go this far, so he can squat like a, you know, he's over a thousand pounds. But he had like super long arms, so he could deadlift. And but he was really thick, so he could bench too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he just, he
1: just, yeah, trifected it up. Now his, uh, they yeah, he's. Yeah, those those dudes were all like, uh, yeah. It's uh, to me like that type of stuff where those guys were just in gyms, like you know, like the Captain Kirk Kowalski. Like you remember when he's like, you know, he has on his back, and the guy goes to help him. He's like, I want to feel it. You know, comes in and What, well, like,
2: the, uh, the thousand for the double. Yeah, yeah. I want to hold it.
1: Yeah, I want to hold it. Like to to me, um, like I don't know. Like I mean, I've I've seen all these other guys, and they come in and like you know whatever. But to me, like fucking. If you were to take these guys, like these ac- iconic dudes, like a Kirk Kowalski or Ed Cohn, and you, and you were somehow like transport them and put them in here today, where they had other people that were pushing them, I'm kind of nervous to see what would have happened. Because uh, Kowalski, to this day, I've never seen anybody squat like Kowalski.
2: Yeah, yeah. Kirk, Kirk's a buddy of mine, and uh, he's he's a absolute madman. Yeah, he's um, a great person. Kirk also had the small. He has the smallest hands. Of any human male that's ever existed.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, it's pretty it's, funny when you watch him do go deadlift. It's he's like got he's got, creepy, got these
2: little tiny. He's got creepy tiny hands. His hands are like this big. I don't even. Yeah, don't it's like, know like like his hands. His whole hand is like that big. It's so like when I the first time you met person, I remember I shook his hand. I don't have like the biggest hands. My hands are pretty big, but it's just like you know, like you ever shake a guy's hands, Johnny? Hand yeah, it's like, like shaking a little kid.
1: Yeah, every day when I see these guys. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> But that's Kurt. And Kurt said he could have uh, he could have been a great deadlifter, but he could, that was his thing. He could never hold on to the fucking bar. That was the other thing Eddie had. So Eddie's hands like are like this big, like his one hand is like this big. It so, was like any advantage you could have from in powerlifting, Eddie Cohn has it. Whereas Kurt, Kurt could have probably been, Kurt was kind of like the prince to Eddie being the king of powerlifting, right? But Kurt could have probably been every bit as good as Eddie had he just had bigger hands. Yeah, but no, he had these tiny, had these tiny little baby hands, so he only pulled. I think only time he ever pulled over 800 was in training one time. He said if he could ever get his, his grip just right, he could hold on to it. But that was the thing. Like there was a multitude of occasions where he'd pull like 771 or 7075, and he'd slip out. And Eddie was pulling, you know, in the low nine, like 900, low 900, like 900 or like high 800s, 800. like 881 stuff like that. So Kirk wasn't. He was pulling like 750 to 770, which is a big difference um, at that level. But it's because he had tiny little baby hands.
1: No, nice he's beast. No, I, I like growing up as a kid, like those dudes were like fucking, you know, superheroes. <laughs> and you see these guys today, I'm like, ah, I don't know, dude. Uh, you bring Kowalski anywhere today in his prime, he's probably going to smash some fucking people in the face. Yeah,
2: it, it was just very different, man. I know a lot of people just say it's just nostalgia and us being old guys, but... I don't know. It's just the. the it, to me, it feels feels very different having experienced both of them. I'm sure it probably does for you too. Um, just feels very different. Um, like now, it's like a. It's like I don't think that a lot of the guys that are where they're at necessarily because they always they love it like we loved it when we were teenagers. And I think a lot of it is about the attention seeking. And for me, like if you put me on a deserted island, I'm sure you're saying, way. Well, I would still lift weights." Like, yeah. I would still do all my conditioning and lift all my weights and I'd still prefer to eat, and, you know, all my bro foods. So, whereas I think a lot of these people, if Instagram went away tomorrow, I think about 90% of the lifting population you see on it might go away with it.
1: Wow. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's an interesting thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the age old doing it for the gram, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, right. You know? But it's
2: a huge part of what I saw like this this weekend, even when dealing with people, because it's changed training so much, too, because one of the things that I, that I harp on consistently is that people don't need more fancy exercises or more novelty in their training. they need to become more proficient at a lot of basic movement patterns. They need to become far more proficient at doing basic movement patterns. But I mean, think about it. There's so many people today that have developed you know, big followings or considered expert because they come up with very new looking novelty movements. But that's not what people need to be doing. There's only a handful of movement patterns by the body that you're gonna use in training that you can basically develop them on pretty much the whole muscular system with. You don't need a thousand different movements, but you need to become very proficient at a select number of them. And if people would focus more on that, and work with a high degree of effort and intensity, they would get better very fast. But Mm -hmm. that's where the disconnect is, is they they feel that there's some special exercise, some special program. It's called the secret
1: squirrel. It's the secret squirrel. We we call it the secret squirrel that there's something else out there that people are keeping from them, that if only they find that will be the one little thing. Like I, I saw a lady comment once and she was like, oh, you know, there's a secret, um, combination of foods that I can consume in high quantities (laughs) that like, like I just have to find my right combination. And it was pretty, I mean, she was dead ass serious. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I just have to find the right foods that, that, that agree with my body. And then, uh, you know, I'll be in good shape. And I remember thinking like, Fuck. Is that how people think about training too? Cause I mean, obviously that woman was delusional. I mean, but like people think that like, Oh man, if only I get this machine or I do this. I think training
2: more with that than nutrition. I think training more with that than nutrition. I think people do think if they have, and I'm not saying that in those things are completely unimportant, but people often think if I train a certain number of days and hit a, a body part a certain number of times and sequence my movements a very specific way and then do my warm-ups a very specific way, and then I'm exactly two RIR from failure, and then I rest the exact amount between sets, and then I have the exact number of grams of, you know, maltodextrin coming post-workout in conjunction with X amount of grams. I'm like, okay, dude, but... Like
1: oh, they're you're working over- for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're overhead pressing 84 pounds. Like, there's probably other things that you need dude. to be focused
1: on. Right we 've always said man like the, the, the greatest determining factor for success and why people aren 't reaching it is uh, relative intensity, and like um, it always comes down to like like how hard are you going are you, you know and are you trying to like compensatory acceleration, the idea that you know motor unit recruitment happens from speed. Or, you know, repeated efforts, so then exhaustion. Or, you know, when you're at your fucking break limit with rep maxes. Like, if you're not pushing it, it like, dude, if you're going to push it for five, you can get it for six, and it didn't hit it. Like, remember what did Arnold say when they asked him how many reps? He's like, the last one. If I can get six and I get seven, then it was the seventh rep. If I got eight, it was the eighth rep. And I just, like, that piece from Pumping Iron was so, that that was another impactful thing. That's what I think flipped the switch, where I was like, oh are just not doing the reps with any weight. You have to pick a weight that allows you to hit. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right, dude, we've been three hours. Yeah. Which is slightly below average.
3: Those rookie numbers. are going to have to bump that up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like we could sit here all day.
3: We got to get our macros in, Paul. Hey, man, thanks for jumping on the, the show. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate uh, connecting.
2: Yeah, dude, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a blast. Like I said, I get to ask John some stuff, too. Anytime I come across any uh, – any any former players that I develop a, a good friendship with, I always like to pick their brain about, the you know, going league. Like I said, the funny thing about why I wanted to ask them certain questions was there are certain things that always line up about that. And, you know, I always like to hear from from the guys who play, like who are your best guys? Because most of the guys you played against or played with, them, I, I know fairly well as far as, you know, when they were playing and that kind of stuff. It's funny that you mentioned Keith Hamilton, though, because I would have never I would have never guessed out of all the guys you played against. But that's been the constant when I've talked Guys about mm-hmm. who the best they played against. Um, and it's almost like fighting, right? Uh, it's almost like how, how styles make fights. Uh, and I can't remember what DB it was, I was I was talking to a couple of years ago. And he talked about this one wide receiver. And he said the reason why the he hated playing against him was just because of his pass block. <laughs> yeah. And and he's like, he's, like he, he's such a great pass blocker. So there's certain areas, right? Like the certain things a guy gives you fits with that makes him – difficult to mm-hmm. play against it's not always about the numbers but i like those stories just as much as you guys ask me any bullshit about lifting weights
3: sure man oh what where do, where do people follow you if they want to troll you on social media you know arguing um, with you about <laughs> rest
2: you know it's, that's funny like all they got he had to do i think is google my name and you'll find me somehow Everywhere. i don't even i'm so behind the curve i'm like this whole like i don't like i don't write on the blog much anymore it's lift-run-bang.com really kind of more just if you google me you'll find me on you'll find Lift Run bang anywhere on social media um or just find me on facebook i think i'm the number one paul carter that comes up so that's that's kind of a cool yeah. thing <laughs> yeah yeah i've got enough followers now that yeah if you try to find me you'll, yeah, you'll find it pretty cool so anybody that wants to find me if you go you google Lift Run bang or paul carter that usually gets you somewhere in my, my vicinity awesome
1: yeah, man who you on paper cool all right paul hey have a good one man Thanks,
2: Thanks for
1: having me on, guys. I had a really good time, man. All right. Anytime.
2: All Bye. right, guys. Bye. Have a good one.
0: Drop on, drop on, now it's time for you to empower your performance. You heard it, folks. He is on Facebook daily defending his training principles and putting his foot in people's asses, depending on his mood that day. Google Paul Carter and let the trolling begin. Until next time. Bye. Bye.
2: What what do you guys usually listen to? Fucking Sarah McLaughlin in the Basically. arms of an Uh
0: huh.